hi everyone. This is rose tinted something. Reels. Reels. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's yeah. Very similar to rose colored reels, is what, which is what I was calling it for a while, but I think we decided rightfully to change it because it's got a reference to some movie. Uh, well, that in uh, rose tinted glasses, seeing the world through a rose tinted viewpoint is. Uh, a common expression. There's also a song in the Rocky Horror Picture Show about uh, Rose Tint My World. Yeah, and I don't know that yet because I haven't seen that particular film. But that's kind of the point of this podcast, isn't it? Yep, I've seen everything. Mm-hmm. Zach mm-hmm. has seen mm-hmm. nothing. I've not seen much. Well, I've seen things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I've seen more modern movies. I could show you a thing or two. Believe me. Believe you me. That's, I could... that's very true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you, you've seen a lot of elderly movies. Yes, uh, everything from the silent era on forwards. I've taken some film studies classes. I also um, challenge my friends um, to watch and show each other new things that might um, diversify our background in film. That's a beautiful thing. Who the heck are you? My name is Allison. Um, I am a Pasadena, Maryland dweller. Mm. I have a cat. Mm. And a dog and a fiancé. A beautiful little fiancé? Yeah, yeah. His name is Carcass, also known as Mark. I call him Carcass. That's adorable. I used to have somebody. But <laughs> this is taking a I don't <laughs> any longer. <laughs> but you have a beautiful dog yeah. and two beautiful cats. I do. And I do. a silent roommate. He, well, he's become more vocal recently. He and I are becoming the best of buds. See, when you said vocal, it kind of had this uh, feeling that it might be an animosity, like he's pestering you to pick up your socks. No. (laughs) No, 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 no. No, he doesn't pester for anything. He is fairly silent. He speaks about Magic the Gathering. Oh, you can borrow some of my uh, card decks. Oh, that's right. You're into Magic. You tried to teach me how to play that years ago, and I I was resilient. Yeah, and I have promptly forgotten how to play, but you are welcome to my cards. (laughs) I was going to say, I was going to suggest that'd be a good opening line if you wanted to get closer to this man. Not not in a kind of romantic way. Obviously, you've got a a beautiful fiancé. Yes, uh, Mark and I, we make sense. Quiet guy. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, so this is this is rose tinted. I keep wanting to call it rose colored. This is going to be a problem. It's rose tinted spectacles or, or reels. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's rose tinted reels. Something like that, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, the movie we've got going on today, Breakfast Club. Breakfast Club. Now I'm gonna have you time travel with me. The year is 1985. NES was released in North America. Gorbachev became the Soviet leader. Michael Jordan and NBA is the NBA Rookie of the Year. Uh, those things have nothing to do with anything except to say that I was also born in the year 1985, which is very important. These are good facts. I like them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I could also go into average house uh, cost of a new house and average income. Oh, okay. Uh, well, the average cost of a new house was $89,330. Uh, which is very affordable considering what I paid for my house. <laughs> Indeed, mine too. The average home income per year was $22,100. Um, the average monthly rent, $375. Um, and the average price of a new car was under $10,000. It was $9,005. Oh, I'll tell you what, those boomers had it easy. Well... <laughs> And, and that was right around this also time of uh, Reaganomics where things 
took a they were trickling a lot they they took a change <laughs> <laughs> um also they they closed the famous uh u.s highway system route 66 they closed it yeah uh it fell into disrepair um the famous route 66 which could take you coast to coast and um it fell into disrepair no one wanted to fix it so they closed that interstate system what the that's classically american is yeah. that still closed I believe so. I, I didn't look into... <laughs> look, I'm not really American. I don't, I don't understand these things. <laughs> oh, uh, also, New Coke was released and quickly unreleased because people didn't <laughs> like the idea of something new. Because, like today, what is new scares and frightens us. Yes, indeed. Also, it had a higher sugar content. <sighs> it was a marketing ploy, clearly. It, it was, and it backfired. Mm, mm, mm. Unlike the famous... Uh, KFC Christmas marketing uh, <laughs> ploy that happened in Japan. That I don't know happened when that happened, if that was the 80s or not, but um, random trivia. Uh, in Japan, they had a commercial series that showed families eating fried chicken and cake for Christmas, and now that is something that in Japanese culture, um, some people associate with Christmas and will purchase fried chicken and have cake on Christmas. Is that like making fun of American culture? Because I don't know whether or not to be offended. It's not making fun of. It was an interpretation like we would have a turkey dinner. Instead, they had fried chicken dinner. That's odd. Yeah, I've never once had fried chicken on Christmas. Well, I guess to be fair, a lot of Americans do Chinese food on Christmas. It's all that's open. Yeah, (laughs) I did that last year. Did you? I was lonely. Oh. (laughs) This keeps taking a dark turn. Let's talk about happy things. Yeah, let's talk about John Hughes. Hughes. John Hughes. So uh, this is the second John Hughes film. Um, I think that one of the the iconic things is the music from the film and the general energy and feel of the film. Mm. When it first starts, you kind of get an impression um, already just by the, the music at the introduction. Definitely. And yeah. and the quote by David Bowie from... Yeah, I was going to ask you. I, I meant to listen to that song and be a good boy and prepare for this podcast. I meant to listen to it. I didn't. So you may have heard it, not realized it, because Changes was also used in one of the Shrek films, I believe the second one. Oh, well, then I have. Yeah. <laughs> I was a big fan of the Shrek series. Yeah, so uh, it's... Can you sing a little bit of it? Absolutely not. Our viewers, listeners... Listeners. Our listeners have not done anything wrong to hear me sing. I don't know. You can't You can't make that determination. There are probably bad people out there. <laughs> I'm well, sure a lot of bad people will listen to this podcast. Well, all I know is that no one deserves to hear me sing. It would be kind of like uh, that scene in Indiana Jones, a film that Zach also needs to see. Look, I've seen the first one. Okay. Well, then, okay, you've seen the face melty scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, what happens yeah. when I see it. I mean, it's been a while. <laughs> I was talking to you about this the other day. I remember yeah. that the, the lady w- used to work at a bar, uh-huh. and so therefore doesn't get drunk at the speed that the man does, so she outwits him by drinking and not getting drunk. Sort of. That's what I remember from the movie. Yeah. Well, and the face melting. The face melting. Well, that that's a very iconic scene. Yeah. Can't avoid that. Was there also a rocket launcher at some point? I feel like I remember a rocket launcher. Uh, those uh, Indiana Jones versus Nazis. I'm sure there was a rocket launcher at some point. <laughs> some fan you are. I can't even remember the rocket launcher. I don't remember rocket launchers being a huge part of uh, the war against uh, the Nazis, but I'm not saying they didn't exist. Yeah. I was less, you know, uh, focused on the weaponry unless it was the whip. 
Yeah. Oh, was the first one the one where uh, the 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 guy there was he was facing off against a fella who was I think he had a sword and he was going flippy flappy with it, and then. <laughs> and then Indiana you described jo- <laughs> it as flippy flappy before and I laughed <laughs> <laughs> and then Indiana Jones pulls out a gun and just shoots him and walks away like a cool boy I believe that is correct yes yeah, yeah. I also remember that scene that was a good scene yeah it's a uh, it's always funny when uh the big imposing foe is spectating and showing off and then mm-hmm. the hero's just like okay. I'm better than you yeah I've come to your part of the world to show you what sophistication is America yeah, he was just being imperialist. We should get into that. Yeah, I mean, Im- imperialistic uh, anthropologists just don't seem to be imperialist anthropologists. Well, I mean, that's he was a uh, he was an excavator. was he an anthropologist? I believe he was an anthropologist. Yeah, I thought he was an archaeologist. I thought it was. You're right. He was an archaeologist, not an anthropologist. But I mean. Archaeology and anthropology do go hand in hand. You're studying the culture. I feel like one is a subset of the other. Yeah. So it's, I would say that he should not be imperialistic if his goal is to respect and endear himself to culture. None of this has anything to do with the breakfast club. (laughs) It's fine though. It's fine. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, the breakfast. Okay. So I don't even know if we properly set up the, the mission of this podcast. So Allison has seen many old films Mm -hmm. and she wants to educate me. Yes. I am an uneducated swine when it comes to particularly eighties movies and you know, earlier. And I, I feel like I've been lacking a certain reference point. Also some 90s movies. You think I'm missing some important 90s movies? They were on the list. I, I have created an Excel spreadsheet because I'm a uber nerd. And uh, when going through them, you missed some key early 90s films. Do we want to spoil any of those just as a preview for the, the listeners? Uh, listeners? Let's see. I, I, I can. Um, there was Can't Hardly Wait was on that list. Never heard of it. It's a early Seth Green film. Really? Yeah. Oh, is it? I think I saw a YouTube video of Seth Green talking about his career. Mm-hmm. Was it when he was a little baby? He was not a baby. He was a high school age or portraying a high school age. This was oh. right before he joined the cast of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I see. I see. Um, there's also um, the son from Hook, grown up to a teenage age, isn't it? Son from Hook, Son from Hook. Oh, okay. I mean, he looked like a generic little little boy. I don't remember really. He grew up to be a generic little nerd. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just like me. Yeah. Uh, well, you're, you're a little better uh, better off than him. Now, granted... <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> granted, I did not know you in high school, so it's hard for me to say... Oh, I was a dweebazoid. Yeah, it's... I don't think we can judge each other by who we were in high school because... Uh, I, I, <laughs> we're not fully developed in the brain. True. I hadn't developed my wardrobe yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, my parents were still dressing me. I mean, not physically putting the clothes on me. I, that was a terrifying idea. image. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they would buy, buy my clothes from Walmart. Mm-hmm. So I was wearing all generic stuff. I was, I don't know if my parents were poor, but they acted like it. They were th- uh, thrifty. Frugal. Frugal. Frugal is a better word. Uh, they were. So, uh, full disclosure, I went to a small uh, private school in Maryland. It was an Episcopalian school. Slightly different upbringing. Slightly different upbringing. Um, I will say that um, 
where I went to high school, uh, there was a dress code, so I had to wear uh, khakis and collared shirts. We weren't allowed to wear denim. Enforced preppiness? Enforced preppiness. Uh, we could uh, not wear skirts above the knee. Um, we... <laughs> Oh, so they allowed you to, there was some customization. You could get your own skirt as long mm-hmm. as it wasn't above the knee. Right. It wasn't a, it, it wasn't a uniform. It was a dress code. I see. I see. Um, and I, I will say that we had a reverend, uh, that, and a headmaster, um, at the <laughs> school. And one of the expressions that they would say is, um, you know, women's skirt should be long enough to cover the subject, but short enough to keep it interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Only as an adult do I realize how creepy that is for Who an adult man, uh, the reverend and the headmaster. The reverend? Uh-huh. I'm loving it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great school. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, dude, look at, look at these audio waves. I peeked out on my laugh. I've got to... <laughs> you Ricky Gervais. <laughs> I did. I Ricky gervais a little bit. Oh, boy. Um, anyway, so... <laughs> Unlike the educator uh, shown in Breakfast Club, there was a little bit of levity to the educators we had at my school. Uh, I don't Clearly. know. When we look back at our educators, I think we all have that one that we seem to pick up on some animosity towards us as an individual. I don't know if you felt that way. I felt that way. Oh, yeah. Um, all my teachers. Um that's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had like the, the odd teacher that liked me. Mm-hmm. I, well, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. There, at least there were the odd teacher. There was the odd teacher that didn't have animosity toward me. Mm-hmm. And, and that was nice. But for the most part, it was a war. Yeah. It's when uh, you are one of the unpopular kids in a class size of 24, you feel each animosity, <laughs> each dig, each jive I, I feel like you feel it a little harsher because that that is a direct point of attack not a general i don't like certain types of students it feels more personal <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> but no i mean everyone's a prep here it's not that they don't like preps mm-hmm. they just don't like you well yeah i was the odd duck in a group of 24 normal ducks yeah i mean there was a couple odd ducks what was what was odd about you in high school oh i was just uh I was unusual. I was the movie kid. I was, uh, we were small enough where we didn't have enough people like me to find a click. Um, So I just kind of, all of the unfortunates kind of bound together as a group called the (gasps) Chelsea crew because we all sat outside of a hall called Chelsea Hall. I was really hoping it was going to be the breakfast club. No. That would be such a good tie-in. Just lie. It would. Okay, so we called ourselves the breakfast club, even though our school didn't offer a breakfast. and was not, in fact, a... We had forced clubs because if it was up to us, none of us would have participated in a club. And so to have clubs, they had to force us to be part of a sport or a club each semester. Okay. So you, but you had a little club, so there was kind of a click of the unfortunates. Yep, all five of us. Did you call yourselves the unfortunates? We called no, we <laughs> called ourselves the Chelsea Crew. <laughs> Why? Because we sat outside of Chelsea Hall. I see. Which was the science building. Oh, okay. So you were playing into the dweebazoid stereotype, hanging out outside the science building. It had a nice overhang and seats, so that is the only reason. I see. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. No. Uh, our campus was broken into different buildings, uh, unlike I think most traditional high schools where maybe the gym was a separate building, but all the other classes were one house. Hmm. 
we had to walk to different, um, different classes and different buildings. So there was the science building, there was the, Mm. um, English building or arts building. Um, so you had like, it was a proper campus. It was a campus. Yeah. Oh, you want me to describe my high school? Go on. We had, uh, it was built principally of temporary walls. It leaked when it wasn't raining. And for the most part, there were no windows, Mm. none. It was all one building. And it was sad. It was miserable. Everything was brown. Mm-hmm. Everything was brown. Including the water? Include <laughs> <laughs> No, but everyone said that there was angel dust in the water, so I never drank out of the water fountain. Our water had pebbles in it, so we couldn't drink from our water fountains either. What? It was a really... Was that a prank someone did? No, it was just... It's an old facility... Um, I'm guessing it was a malfunction of the well, but uh, I, I remember we weren't supposed to drink from the water fountain. Interesting. Okay. They but had to get a bubbler. I see. I see. <laughs> I thought I thought you were going to say that it was some fancy thing, like they put pebbles in there just to give it a little bit of... No, we, we just had non-drinking water. <laughs> uh, gotcha. Okay. Especially in the Chelsea Hall. But this was a private school, so presumably your parents were paying tons of money. To mm-hmm. this place, and they couldn't afford to fix the water fountain? It wasn't high on the priority list. I see. Water doesn't help you get into college. It, well, I mean, it keeps you hydrated and your brain working, but... It, 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 yeah. Semantics. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> These things are directly correlated. We can buy bottles of water. We had little sure student could. checkbooks, so we could go to the, the student commissary and buy one. You had a student checkbook? Yeah, uh, our parents were to put funds in it, and from that we could buy school supplies from a um, student facility. We could buy snacks, um, school lunches, Hmm. but it was up to us. It was trying to teach us economics and not to overdraw our checkbooks. Interesting. See, my school was, again, different. I stole my lunch more often than not. Were you the bully? Did you just like, hey, kid, give me your milk money? Yeah. Yes, I was. I don't see that of you. I was a very imposing figure in high school. People feared me. So something we should note about Zach. No, there's no reason for that. No, no, no. No, come on. There's there's no purpose. He's the tiny fellow. Come on now. (laughs) He's of average height, but not what I would consider an imposing height. Look, ladies and gentlemen, I I am an imposing (laughs) man. When I walk into a room, people notice. It's because he's ginger. Well, that too. Beautiful. (laughs) I'm kissed by fire. He's a Durakin. <laughs> <laughs> look, this is enough. Uh, again, this we did look. Full disclosure, we have. We, this is our third attempt to start the podcast, and the other one, she's bullied me. Also, I don't understand what this is. <laughs> it's the microphone. The power of the microphone. Ah, this is ridiculous. All right, come on now. So let's pull this back to the movie. Enough uh, about our squalid lives. Well, yeah. my squalid life and your rather charmed existence from the age of it's whatever to. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, so, yes, so Breakfast Club. Mm. So my first memory of watching The Breakfast Club was actually um, at a middle school sleepover. And this stands out in my memory because I remember us being so excited that we were being allowed to watch a rated R film. It's rated R? It's rated R. Why? My guess is at the time it was filmed is there was a lot of swears. There were a couple swears. There was a couple swears. Um, uh, before uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, there was no such thing as a PG-13 rating. That's right. You told me that the other day. I'm learning things already. This is magical. Oh, yes. The magic of film history. Yes. Um, so 
when um, Temple of Doom came out, it was considered too violent, but they understood the need to get a certain age demographic into the theater, um, mm -hmm. or they would be missing out on major funds. So they didn't want it rated R. So they gamed the system. So they gamed the system and created PG-13. Before then, it was G, PG, and R. Um, what about X? Everyone and, always and, forgets about X. Well, X films tend to not make it to theaters, major theaters. It's a real shame. Yeah, but... Um, so that's how a movie like Barbarella, which is very um, sexual in nature. I was trying to think of the tactful way to say that. Barbarella. Oh, yeah. J famous Jane Fonda film. Would not recommend necessarily. Um, it uh, has to do, it, it's like a sexual sci-fi. <laughs> very... well, that sounds great. Oh, it... I'm into it. Came out in, I think, the 60s. Um, <laughs> a sexual sci-fi in the 60s? Yeah, oh, my God. She's, like, having... I like it for the alliteration alone. She is sleeping with the stars. Like, everyone. She's... It's, it's susurrus. Everyone, look up that word. Susurrus. <laughs> word of the day. Yeah. Try to use it in a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Three times. Make, it, make use of it three times in a day. Um, so, yes. Uh, Barbarella. Um, I'm amazed to this day that that remains a PG film. Because of all this, she really sleeps with everyone in that film. I'm not slut shaming. I'm just impressed. Does 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 she show nudity? Yes. And it's PG. Yeah. The rating I, system really confuses me. I, so I don't. It's not like full nudity. It's I think you see breast through colorful plastic clothing, and so I don't know how that works on the scale. I mean, do you can you? visibly see a nipple i think so well then come on now <laughs> maybe i'm just a prude and maybe barbarella is just uh someone who moves around the stars but <laughs> what does she hang out with a lot of famous people no 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 meaning literal stars she's in oh, space oh okay, yeah, it's, okay gotcha. she's on an alien planet and there's a blind angel that she uh canoodles with there is a weird organ machine and now when i say organ i mean like a pipe organ sure that is meant to destroy her through sex energy um <laughs> it's a weird film maybe we should put that on the list yeah because... <laughs> definitely this is sounding better and better um there's this weird child harvester which seems to like pick up kids from whatever this planet's yugage was uh for those of you who do not know yugage yeah. uh... i'm one of those people um, did you ever see the movie 300 yes. or read the, the comic? So um, when children of a certain age in Sparta uh, were young, they were sent to the wild to test their uh, survival skill and instinct. And if they were strong enough to survive, they were welcomed back to the village. And they would turn into Gerard Butler. Yeah, uh, that, that happened a lot. It was a shame for the girls. Where were they sent? No, they just turned into Gerard Butler. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's your option. <laughs> That's adorable. Anyway, so Breakfast Club, also like a yugage. Uh, <laughs> yes, what's this yugage? That's the name of the ceremony when the, the kids yeah. go out? Okay. They, they send the young ones out to prove that they can function and exist in the culture, the, the adult culture. What about the weaklings and the sick? If they, they die, they die. Were they discarded on a big mountaintop? Uh, I think if a baby was born with uh, deformity, mm -hmm. um, there there is some evidence of um, removing the the said child, like leaving it to nature to decide. Um, ah, I see. 
That's nicer than what 300 showed. Oh, yeah. They just, like, pitched them. They're like, eh, never mind. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Next one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. With childbirth and not having uh, access to anesthesia, if I brought something into the world, even if it didn't make, you know, factory (laughs) manufacturer quality, (laughs) I don't know that I would allow them to be thrown. (laughs) I would have uh, been like, no, no, we'll leave. Well, where's your sense of pride? Like, you made that, and it's broken? I mean... I made that, and I squeezed well, something is... the size of a football out of <laughs> we, something. We have really wandered <laughs> far afield, but also gone into territory that's really <laughs> somewhat on PC. Yeah, I feel like we should be ashamed. Yeah, let's 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 continue to talk about teenagers, which can work in the yogage setting because right. we're we're allowing these teenagers to exist together in a room. Indeed. Yes. Um, <laughs> So, so I don't even have my own template up in front of me. What's what's our next section, ladies and gentlemen? We have actually planned this. We've we've got a schedule. So what's funny is you know we've jumped around uh, so much. Yeah. <laughs> I, I uh, feel like that's so, gonna happen. So I think um, we we've covered section one chit chat. Yes. Uh, we have achieved chit chat. Section two uh listener review since we didn't have any i i suppose this uh yeah where are our listeners yeah we what are you what are you doing yeah comment comment we will even create something that will allow you to submit comments <laughs> <laughs> like and subscribe god yeah, hit exactly. smash that like button or the subscribe what are the people and hit the bell right this isn't on youtube though it could be i guess what does soundcloud use <laughs> sound this i it's been a while i think they may have a, a like an up like a thumbs up sort of system. No, oh, do I they have know. a thumbs down? I can't handle that kind of criticism. Yeah, don't thumbs down us, fellas and la- ladies and gentles. <laughs> J- just move on. Yeah, just move no, on. No, no, listen more and <laughs> listen like it. Listen more. Yes. <laughs> You'll eventually learn to love us. All right. Especially me. <laughs> well, it takes a lot. It took us years. Bad <laughs> <laughs> um, stories for another time. So I think we are in section three, which is we are introducing and talking about the movie. We have named the movie, something we have successfully referenced several times. It's Breakfast Club. Breakfast Club. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So some trivia about the Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually filmed the Breakfast Club in an abandoned school. Um, I thought this was fascinating because it's such a beautiful school. It is. They did a really good job. Um creating a feel of a lived-in school with strategic things like, you know, graffiti and uh, trash mm-hmm. placement. How did it compare to your real school? Because my school, that looked a thousand times better than my school. Even the locker on it that said fag mm. was like the best part of I, my school. I am so uncomfortable about that word, but um, we'll get into that too. But um, so... My school, I wish our library was set up that way. Uh, Our library was a bit, it was spread out in a different way. I I enjoyed the setup of this library. It It was beautiful. It was bright. It was inviting. Oh, yeah. Tons Um, of natural light coming in from everywhere. A uh, statue? How did they get a statue? I'm trying to think if we had it. I think we had one lion statue because we were the lions. (laughs) You had a statue? I think, like, one little stone lion does... I don't know if that counts. Just one little stone lion. We were the mighty, mighty lions. Look, we didn't even have face paintings of our mascot. What was your What was your mascot? I don't remember. We were the Patriots. I think. 
how how would you face paint a patriot like stars and stripes? A, yeah, we, no, we had a guy. We, there was a little fella. He had uh, colonial. Face. I think yeah, it was that sort of thing. I actually I think we were the patriots. I don't actually remember really well. I was barely mentally there. Barely patriotic. <laughs> but, well, I'm definitely not. Well, I don't know. I'm kind of. So I feel like there's a, a national. I don't think team sports are a good way to think about politics. Yes. But uh, I don't know. I feel like America is kind of a cool place. Yeah. There are improvements Definitely. to be made, obviously. Yeah, we're we're realistic patriots. Yes. Yes. Mm. Um, so I will say, like, um, my college uh, team were uh, the Tartans, and those were a little harder to because when you think of a tartan. Mm-hmm. You think of a swatch of fabric. You I don't. Do. Yeah. So we we had uh, a Highlander kind of guy who was our mascot, but apparently in the years that I left, they got rid of him. So now I don't know what they used to. So they had a little Highlander fella. Yeah, that's little, awesome. Little... Did he have his face painted like Mel Gibson? No, he he wasn't wearing uh, any face makeup, but he was wearing um, the the kilts. Now I know that our friends are going to end up listening to this at some point, probably. Anyway. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> Please, if not, please the, listen. the lie. <laughs> <laughs> the lie. But this will be the test. Yes. I have never seen Highlander. Have you seen Braveheart? I have never seen Braveheart. So you're anti-Scottish. I am Scottish. But you're anti-Scottish. <laughs> I am a Scot. And uh, I would love to see these movies. This is, when did they come out? Oh, gosh. Highlander. It's going to be in the era that I just wasn't. I think confused. Highlander and Braveheart were. Oh, gosh. I'm going to look this up because I don't want to be wrong. Uh, I have I know, stumped the cinephile. I know that Braveheart was sometime in the 90s. Um, oh, it was a 90s movie. God, another one? Yep. See, this See, is I'd, bringing national shame. Okay, upon Highlander was 86. I couldn't remember if it was early 90s or late 80s. So mm-hmm. it was 86. Okay. Um, very good role for uh, Christopher Lambert. Um, Sean Connery is in it. I love the Shawnee. So my problem with Braveheart is the historical uh, inaccuracies because mm. it was basically not the William Wallace story. It was, um, oh gosh. Uh, You're trying to be <sighs> an actor or a historical figure? Historical figure, the Bruce. Um, I, I just forgot it. I think it was William the Bruce. But um, he. it was more about his story versus William Wallace. Um, anyway, none of which has to do with Breakfast Club. I feel like we're, we're going to end up going on tangents. It's all fine. We're talking about cinema, at least. Yes, that's you true. Know, I feel like we're, <laughs> we're somewhat on message. Um, so, uh, let's see. Oh, so filmed in an abandoned school um, called Maine North. Uh, they basically built um, all of the sets within that school. Um, they also utilized an emptied pool for part of that. Um there was also um, some interesting things about the actors. Um, so we almost didn't have John Bender um, played by Judd Nelson. Uh, he was originally supposed to be cast by John Cusack, but they thought he lacked edge. Oh, is that what it was? Because I did get that piece of trivia when mm-hmm. I was digging through stuff. I thought that it was that they didn't have an actor to play uh, the jock. So oh. they had him switch roles and they hired somebody else for Bender. Oh, um, well, the, the, the trivia that I had um, read up on was John Cusack um, just was not edgy enough for the role. Ah, so we've got dueling trivia. Yep. Oh, interesting. I wonder who's right. Uh, listeners, please inform us. John Cusack, do you have an opinion? Yeah, please. Are I, you Obviously, edgy? he's listening, so let's yeah. just hear from, directly from the source. <laughs> exactly. Or John Nelson. We'll, we'll take John Nelson. 
Oh, I'll take Judd Nelson. <laughs> um, so uh, let's see. Um, so uh, one of the things uh, about John Hughes films is they are all, in theory, set in a same town that doesn't exist. Um, that was referenced in Dogma by Jay and Silent Bob. So they're all supposed to exist in the same false universe? The false town. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what was his first movie? Uh, 16 Candles. Man, I heard of it. So 16 Candles was one of the first Molly Ringwald and... Um, Oh gosh, sorry, my brain. Uh, so it was one of the first Molly Ringwald films, uh, and she was um, playing Bocce. All right, so we're back. Allison had to look something up real quick. So it Would you was, like to let us know what you had to look up? Yeah, okay. I forgot the name of Anthony Michael Hall <laughs> temporarily. It came to me before I had to pull up IMDb. To be fair, <laughs> Allison is going to be the one that remembers names for the most part. I never remember names. So I'm either going to give you the name of an actor or just noises, and you're going to have to put the pieces together. Yeah, if he says, like, Joe Jabadu, you will have to know that means Jake Gyllenhaal. Well, you'll have to know that. The viewers aren't going to know my particular brand of madness, at least not for a while. It's true. It's true. You get used to it. Um, anyway, so it was one of the first movies with uh, Anthony Michael Hall and Molly Ringwald. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, they were paired together in um, this film, uh, The Breakfast Club. Mm. Um, Molly Ringwald would go on to several of other John Hughes's films, um, like... Um, Pretty in Pink, um, which is one of my other favorite uh, Molly Ringwald. I've heard of that one, but I haven't seen it. Uh, very good film with John Cryer. Uh, John, okay. Um, <laughs> you would know him from, um, oh gosh, the, the show that had Charlie Sheen and then didn't. Mad, Mad, Mad Max, Mad Men. Um, Manly Men. Two and a Half Men. Two and a Half Men. There you go. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> See, I did it this time. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Um Judd Nelson, who played the criminal in Breakfast Club, actually went to a New England preparatory school. So he would not have, uh, he's not the person you would expect for that role because he actually came from, uh, as we would call it, money and not really uh, associate with that. So I think he did a very good job playing the delinquent. I think he did too. Uh, but I will, I have trivia also, mm-hmm. but I'm going to distribute my trivia. Once we start actually analyzing clips from the, the movie, mm-hmm. I've got trivia about certain parts of it. And I think that will kind of tie in with that point because not only, I, well, I didn't know he came from money, but it's interesting that he did because he did a lot of improv mm-hmm. in this movie. And I heard so that behind the scenes, he was actually, he took it really seriously. He played, uh, he was in character even when the camera wasn't rolling. Method actor. To the point <laughs> that he was bullying Molly Ringwald. Ooh. And we will get into why, as a teenager, Allison was a, just drawn to the Judd Nelson character of Bender. But as an adult, uh, I'm still ooh, drawn to him. It's problematic. <laughs> well, yeah, of course it's problematic. It's negging. <laughs> he, yeah. Well, do you think he was doing it intentionally? Yes. You do? Yes. So I'm not so sure. I think he's punk rock enough. That he was just doing it, and whoever was attracted by that quality of him, it just worked. It was fine. Yeah. And if it didn't work, it didn't work. I think that's how he was. That's also. I bad. don't know if that's good. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I think you're not I think making was... an argument as a dating technique. <laughs> yeah. Well, if something's got to work. 
off. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Mm. <laughs> um, anyway, but we'll get into to those issues uh, later on in the discussion of uh, Indeed. holding up by today's standards. Um, so I we. Going forward, our our, uh, our structure is going to have you, at the end of the episode, we're going to announce the next movie, and yes. you're going to give your nostalgia rating for it. Yes. So since we didn't have a, an episode prior to this one, let's just do that now. What do you think your nostalgia rating for this would have been before having seen it more recently? I would say that um, we we will rate in full bouquets, um, or 12 roses, mm-hmm. um, or a... Um, Less than that, depending. Um, so nostalgia rating, before I went back and reviewed the film with a more critical eye, a more woke eye, uh, I would say that I would have given it a full bouquet. Okay. You, it would, it would, so this is, I think, something that we should talk about. A full bouquet or a perfect score, does that mean that it's the best movie it could have been or that is the top tier of cinema? I will say that it is, it is not the top tier of cinema, um, but this one is, of the type of film it was, it was the best it could could have been. Okay. Um, the dialogue and the exposition between characters, the um, looking um, through the lens of those high school years, I think it did a phenomenal job um, of just capturing a snapshot in time of teenage angst. Which sure, yeah. resonates still today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I have no anxieties, but <laughs> that's a lie. <laughs> I have anxieties. We all do. <laughs> uh, yeah, agreed. I go, well, so so that's your nostalgia rating. You would have given it twelve nostalgias. Mm-hmm, a full bouquet. Well, no, because I think well, that's our regular or the, our real rating at the end. <laughs> Oh, the, our real, well, our, my real score, R-E-E-L. Um, we'll save that to the end. Yeah, I'll they save can't, that. They can't possibly know yet. No, yes, no. I will save it to the end because I'm looking at it through a different lens at the end. <laughs> so uh, I think for the nostalgia rating, that's a different unit of measurement. Mm-hmm. So you you can give it zero out of ten nostalgias. How many nostalgias? Instead of a full bouquet. Yeah. So okay. how many nostalgias would you give it? I would give it a, a ten out of nostalgia. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So I didn't see it before, so I can't I can't participate. But uh, so, I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, when when I was a 12 year old girl at a sleepover watching this film, you know, I developed a crush on John Bender, and I related to the Ali Sheedy of the film, the the invisible girl character trope. Mm-hmm. Um, just I more so than the princess. I think we all wanted to be the quote unquote princess, I hear that. but. Um, if I was to identify with a character, it would have been the Ali Sheedy character. Sans the hair tender art and the Captain Crunch sandwich. That would have destroyed your mouth, and I just don't yeah. hate myself that much. Agreed. I think the Captain Crunch, all of that Captain Crunch in one bite, it would have tore her the roof of her mouth open. Like eating little razor blades. Mm. Peanut butter razor blades. Yummy. Now that you phrase it that way, I want one. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it... I, there was just something about that movie at the time that spoke to me in a way um, I related to the characters and the suffering that they went through um, to to get to that conversational point. You know, I think we all identified a little bit with each of their stories. Um, Ali Sheedy 
feeling invisible to her family. Um, and which one was Alan? She- Al- Alan? Alice Sheedy? Allie. Allie Sheedy? Mm-hmm. She played... Um, she the, was the gothy... The gothy invisible girl. I feel like if she was a millennial character or someone that was my age, mm-hmm. I think she would have been the sort of person that had cat ears. She would have worn cat ears to school. The more modern, modern cat ear, BTS listening, the, the into K-pop. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would have been her. Yeah. Back when we were in high school, I think those were the kids that wore kind of gothy clothes and maybe watched anime. I had a foot half in and half out of that uh, whole thing. I was yeah. I was kind of part goth, part skater, mm-hmm. part f- like film kind of geeky sort of person, and part poet. Well, I guess that fits in with the goths. You, you were know. a poet and you didn't even realize it. Yeah, that's true. And I was also an ROTC. Oh, I didn't know that you were a ROTC kid. Yeah. We didn't have ROTC. No? Um, Wait, it was an all-female school. Female no. people can't be in military. It wasn't an all-female school. Was it? We oh. just had a very small population of boys. I see. They were fought amongst the uh, more desirable <laughs> females. <laughs> so were, like even the ugly ones got a chance with the, the pretty ladies? Pretty much, yeah. Because, yeah. in a again, class size of about 24 or so, maybe... 30 depending on which grade level you were in your whole graduating class or just that was my graduating class yeah 25 people yeah god wow it was about that yeah i thought you just meant like a classroom would hold about 25 people no we would still break out the classes into smaller sessions so i mean that's i think that's the way to do it i mean that's kind of how oxford does it they've got really low attendance and each person has their own tutor (laughs) and stuff like that i feel like more one-on-one education is is better yeah, it, that that was the theory. It was a college preparatory school. I will say that I had a leg up getting to college because I could really quickly churn out, you know, a five-page essay. I can still really quickly write um, an essay that might take other people longer. It, it did help prepare me for school in that way. Um, but, yeah, so uh, I lost track. Of, oh, we were talking about Ratings? Ratings. Did we leave it there? Uh, no, I... Ten I, nostalgias? I, I gave it ten nostalgias um, because, you know, I watching it at that sleepover really set the stage for me falling in love with that film before I was old enough or wise enough to recognize some of the problems with the film. So when you were in high school or middle school, mm-hmm. how did you look at uh, Anthony Michael Hall's character? Was he cute? No. Oh, he was someone to... <laughs> That was really fast. So he was someone to avoid in the hallway. So I enjoy Anthony Michael Hall today, where he looks like he could be a governor or a senator of Mm. some kind. Um, I've met him. um, He probably has no idea who I am, but I met him once at a horror movie convention. He remembers. Um, My friends and I often participate in conventions um, such as Awesome Con or Mm -hmm. um, Monster Mania. I saw all of the Star Trek Next Generation cast there, except for Picard. He wasn't there. Yeah, it'd be really hard to get Sir Patrick Stewart. I even got to hug Riker. Oh, my God. Was it your life? Yeah, he said I had a Rikerian beard. Oh. (laughs) I Seriously, I'm not exaggerating. My knees were shaking. After I hugged him, I couldn't walk properly. (laughs) (laughs) So I had... um, for those of you who have seen Community, um, Troy, one of the characters, loves um, LeVar Burton. And he wanted an autographed picture of him, but he didn't want to meet him because he was scared of being disappointed by meeting his dream, essentially. Oh, I was scared of that, too, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, 
I will say that that has only happened once and I will not name the celebrity, but, um, I was obsessed with a certain, uh, actress as a girl. I wanted to be her. She was just the coolest. And one of the first actresses I met at one of my first conventions was this actress. And she did not know how to speak to her female fans. And I was pouring my soul to her and she just rolled her eyes. And <laughs> I was how, devastated. How, how obvious was the eye roll? Was it kind of a subtle thing? It, she was, was, like, it was a subtle thing. Yeah. And this was, you know, uh, I, I get it. Like you probably deal with a lot of skeevy people and maybe she was offended by saying when I was a little girl, I wanted to be you when you were a full grown person. <laughs> I feel like you have to learn to deal with that. I mean, you have younger it, it, fans coming up to you. It happens, but yeah, it just, it was oh, so sad for me, but <laughs> yeah, I wasn't disappointed by Riker. No, no. He was I, a good man. I will say that this was the only <laughs> celebrity that made me feel badly when I'm, you know, meeting them. At yeah. I've, I've, I've got, I've been yeah. going to these conventions for a while too. And I, I don't think I've ever had a bad interaction with a celebrity. No, it's, most of them understand that you're paying to see them. You're their fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of them are, are you know, I, I think gracious or are humbled. I've had some really great uh, experiences um, meeting celebrities um, at the, like Felicia Day. When I met Felicia Day, I feel terrible. I cried all over her. <laughs> she was just, I made her this really, I called it dumb, uh, needle felted panda bear. And I gave it to her as a gift. She just had a daughter. Mm. And uh, I gave it to her as a gift. And I presented it. I was like, it's a stupid little thing. I made it, um, you know, for you and your your daughter. Um, and she went into one of these. She's like, you made it so it's special. And, like, how many people can make things? And, like, I just, it, like, just a well <laughs> opened up. And you wept all over her? Oh, yeah. She gave me a cookie and a hug. <laughs> She's one of the best people on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. Anyway, so Breakfast Club. <laughs> yeah. Again, let's get back to the yeah. real issue at hand. Anthony Michael Hall. Um, so I've had problems with the characters he's portrayed. Not necessarily in the way that you would think, but um, like his weird science character, this character, they are just so, they're kind of Michael Scott uh, from The Office in the way that they are detached from what they are doing and why it's wrong in a social context. I didn't see a whole lot of that. Well, there was, I guess some of that in, in breakfast club, mm-hmm. there was like, he would uh, say something to Bender mm-hmm. expecting him to like his comment and it, he never would. Yeah. He, like constantly seeking validation. Yeah. And, and I get it. I mean, as mm-hmm. a nerd, we, we do constantly seek the validation. Um, but uh, growing up, with Anthony Michael Hall and seeing his evolution from this and then going to say, um, the pinnacle of his career obviously was in psych. Oh, well I was going to say before that Edward Scissorhands. So when he was in Edward Scissorhands, that is when I just, I, I lost affection for him. Now when, when he's in psych and as an adult and today I, I like him and respect him. And he, he, again, very, um, professional like the way he shook people's hands at the convention like it seemed very much like that of a politician just very nice and 
straight and it's a practiced niceness yeah it's very formal yeah. uh he just seems very i would vote for him perhaps i've Maybe. heard a lot of people saying that the rock should run well he's just national you know he's he's in a national sweetheart like exactly yeah, he'd bring the country together Everyone would want to hug him, mm -hmm. and that is the kind of person I can get behind. The Rock 2020. But I also need One. to know about his politics. <laughs> yes, that's, that's secondary. Anyway, but um, anyway, so Anthony Michael Hall, um, I did not care for his character, but that's because I, like most people in a teenage year, I was more interested in, in the bad boy. In the bad boy. Mm. Uh, not even Emilio Estevez. Like, he wasn't really a bad boy, though. Well, no, but, but I, I'm saying if you had your option of three men in that movie, it would be Bender, it would be Brian. We also have the teacher. Well, let, let's play that we are also high schoolers, and that is still a thing not to uh, encourage. <laughs> well... As a kid, you can shoot for the stars. Okay, I still wouldn't want the teacher, though, because he was a horrible <laughs> human. <laughs> well, of course he was. <laughs> but uh, Paul Gleason, is he always the bad guy? I have never seen him a likable character. I know I've seen him in, in other things. I can't really remember what specifically they were. He was uh, the police chief in Die Hard, the one that right. wouldn't listen. Yeah. Um, and then he was also the bad guy in Trading Places. I haven't seen Trading Places. Okay, that's going on the list. Anyway, but he, he's just always a bad guy. Like, he's just one of those typecasted, unlikable guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's probably in the tone of his voice and the, his face. He just looks a bit like a dick. Yeah, he, well, and his name was Richard, so yeah, that works. Exactly. And, you know, raiding Barry Manilow's closet is just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a crime. It is. So, um, For which he must pay. So yeah, so I I just I think my nostalgia just comes from over identifying with these characters because their teenage tribulations spoke to my teenage tribulations. Yep, I can see that. So um, I think do we have anything else to do before we actually analyze the movie? Uh no. Um, unless uh, you have anything that you experienced while watching the film that kind of tapped into your nostalgia. I know you can't give it a rating because you can't say you saw it as a tyke, but... Hmm. Anything that went did, into my nostalgia? Did anything resonate with your formative years? Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, all of the characters, except for the princess and the prince. Mm. The Jacques. The Jacques. I don't think I identified much with their characters, but everybody else, like elements of everybody else's character, you know, I've... Uh, as you say, am uh, not an imposing figure physically. <laughs> mm -hmm. you, you were not a wrestler. Um, but I, I identified with uh, Bender's uh, rebelliousness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I had a lot of that in, in my personality, I think. So um, this film uh, scored a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes um, and has a critic score of 89%. Um, which is pretty good. A lot of uh, the critics' reviews can be a little bit harsher than the audience reviews, I find. Um, it was funny because I pulled up a review from when the movie released, um, and this is someone who didn't like the film, a critic, mm -hmm. um, named uh, Paul Atassiano from the Washington Post. Um, he called it a low-cal breakfast club. 
And that was supposed to be insulting? It was. Well, that's the, the title. Um, he said, uh, first movie stopped being like plays. Then plays stopped being like group therapy. Uh, characters monologues. Oh, sorry. Um, badgering each other until um, emotionally drained in the third act. Uh, they bear their souls uh, in a melodramatic monologues. Uh-huh. Um, but who says you can't recapture the past? Taking place almost entirely in one room, The Breakfast Club, is the kind of movie and the kind of play that's hardly seen anymore and good riddance. <laughs> I don't see. He just basically gave a, a summary of the movie, but he said it as though it were supposed to be derisive. But mm-hmm. I mean, it, that, that is kind of what the movie is. And it's it's all right. It does well at what it was attem- attempting to capture. And part of me wonders if uh, Paula Tassiano maybe did not fall into one of the four categories of human that was portrayed in the film and therefore couldn't identify or was too old to go back to that kind of teenage the, mindset. He was the teacher. He was the teacher. He identified with Richard. Yeah. Um, he thought all the children were against him and that children were getting worse and worse every year. But really, it's him that's changing. It's true. The children haven't changed. You've changed. Exactly. So he can't understand the movie anymore. He's too old. He's like uh, in, uh, in uh, what's that Christmassy movie? The one with uh, Jingle Bells, and there's a train that takes you to... The Santa the North- Claus? No, no, no. The train that takes you to the North Pole. The Polar Express. Thank you. Oh. Um, well, can we talk about how creepy one of the kids on that train was? Well, I mean, all of the kids looked a bit creepy because the animation just wasn't quite right yet. Oh, I was talking about the, the glassy-owed fellow who seems to continue to go to the North Pole. The one who speaks very nasally indeed. Uh, the guy that was all about... Uh, choo-choo trains. He liked trains. Yeah, exactly. That kid. He he bothered me. Yeah. I would have uh, pushed him off the train. Yeah, kill him. I mean, I I don't... I'm not in favor of dispatching youths on trains. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) There felt like there should be a butt there. (laughs) But uh, I will say that uh, there was an element to that movie where you wouldn't hear the jingle bells. Mm-hmm. If you didn't believe in Santa Claus anymore. Mm-hmm. The whale you just heard was a basement door closing. <laughs> uh, yeah, you wouldn't hear the bell anymore because you didn't believe in Santa Claus. And I think that's kind of the way it is with uh, youthful movies. You mm-hmm. get old enough, you don't believe in the, in the childish spirit anymore, and you can't hear the, the, the resonance that the movie would otherwise... And I, I do think that being able to put yourself back in that mindset is essential to enjoying this film. Agreed. And I I liked the... uh, I was going into the movie expecting 80s cheese, and like I thought it was going to be over the top and lots of colorful clothing articles and Mm -hmm. things like that. It wasn't, though. I didn't think... I mean, there were were certain kind of... I won't call it campy. I'll call it genre. Mm -hmm. It's kind of... It's got... It plays to a genre, and it kind of lives in that reality. So it's not 100% like realism that you're seeing, but there was enough realism. It was realism within this genre, and I loved it for that. So I was expecting something more over the top, and what I got was kind of what I was expecting, mm-hmm. which was you know talking about emotions and people getting emotional and that sort of thing. But I thought it was done really well. I liked it a lot. Um, I thought it was uh, well-filmed, even though it was only in basically one room, and then they would go in hallways and things like that. But mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of beautiful. Yeah, and I 
I think while some of the, the features of this film did not age particularly well, um, you alluded to one of them earlier, which was um, use of a slur. Um, which one? It's an F slur that I will... Fuck? Was it the word no, fuck? No, no. Uh, that's what, not what a slur, the, that's what, just What swear. was the word? You're you going to turn to <laughs> me if you say it. Yeah, just whisper it. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's, um, I will say, a very... Um, I didn't notice it until quite recently. A lot of um, homophobic and racial slurs that are just dropped yeah. um, in 80s films. And part of me wondered... Um, you know, culturally at that time, uh, a lot of misinformation, um, there, the AIDS crisis. Um, but I don't think it stopped with 80s. I think in the 90s and in early 2000s, maybe even 2010, like Judd Apatow movies, there's always people insulting other people for being gay. And you, like, uh, I don't remember which, it was like knocked up or something, but they were sitting around a table going, you know how I know you're gay? You listen to Coldplay. And things like that. There were jokes like that, which admittedly is a hilarious joke. Well, I mean, Coldplay. Yeah, mm, but um, yeah, so I, I, I think you're right. I think that there was a tone deafness, but um, specifically the, the three letter word used is used hyper amounts of times in 80s movies. Mm. Uh, I noticed it in one of Jim Carrey's first roles in a film called Once Bitten. Oh, that's the, I think the only Jim Carrey movie I haven't seen. Um, I will put that on the list because it is a fun movie, but that is a hyper stylized 80s movie that you were describing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I think I've seen a preview of it and mm -hmm. I remember it looked weird. Oh, it absolutely is. But that is one of the films where there's a scene um, in a shower and that word is dropped. Ah, at his, at Jim Carrey or did Jim Carrey drop it? Um, it was at his friends. He has two unfortunate nerdy male friends and it was dropped at them ah i see yes um so anyway it's words like that are more jarring now i feel than they yeah. were maybe i didn't perceive that as problematic as a child um because i knew it was someone saying it to be a bully or to be mean and i took it as face value that but i didn't see the overarching problem. And I'm sure that was actually the case. Mm -hmm. But still, th there's a lot of other implications now that we've all got downloaded and are kind of on the surface of our minds now. Yes. Mm. Like, uh, another problem is all of the kids in that detention wear white, white, white. <laughs> uh, Judd Nelson was not white, white. He was tan, but he's yeah. not a what I would call a. I don't know what his ethnicity was. I, w I assumed he was Hispanic or something. No. Oh, well. Yeah, his character was supposed to be white. <laughs> well, I mean, the actor. I don't know what his character was. Supposed oh, to be. yeah. I, I don't know about um, his lineage. Well, we should look up his lineage. Let's get to the bottom of this. Well, anyway, but John Hughes, uh, traditionally, largely Caucasian cast. In a modern yeah. film, I think that they would try to involve different groups of kids coming together with different backgrounds. Yeah, 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 certainly. I think, well, that would be a, another element. So this was supposed to capture three personality archetypes. More than three. Four personality archetypes. I can count. Five per personality archetypes. Yeah. I can count. <laughs> three boys, two girls. Yeah. And a principal. Uh, and and I a guess janitor. he's a personality archetype. I don't know. Maybe he's just age. But he's I, I, just age. He's just age. He represents age. Yeah. He's the 
the third ghost in <laughs> like, um, the future. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I think in, in a modern movie, they would have also tried to capture different, uh, I, I don't know, archetypes, but people from different backgrounds just to see how they play off each other. Yeah, it it was an interesting thing to um, review and then speculate. Everything gets remade, and so my speculation was if they were to remake it, how would they do it? And um, there were certain things that I absolutely think could not be refilmed as standard, such as if they found a gun in someone's locker, that would have been immediate expulsion. I think we should, we're getting into the nitty gritty now. Oh, yes. I think we should, uh, let's start analyzing the movie. Okay, let's go. All right. I I purchased the movie just so we could do this. By the way, the audio is not going to be perfect because we're not actually having the audio jacked into the uh, the mixer here. So what you're hearing is the audio from my iPad. And I, I tested it earlier. So I think the, the audio should be fine coming into the mics over our voice. So this, this song was in uh, Futurama. I think it was probably also on Psych. You think it was in Psych? I think so. All right. So let me pull out my notes here. So the first thing I have is 3.05. So what? Oh. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I, I have a favorite quote, but I can get into that later if you prefer. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Um, it's that the, the screw, uh, screws fall out. It's an imperfect world. <laughs> I did like that quote. That was my favorite in the movie, too. All right, so 3.05, that was right where you saw the, uh, the expletive mm-hmm. on, the, uh, on the locker wall. And so we already had that conversation. But I just I kind of wanted to gauge your opinion on how that would read in a modern movie. It wouldn't. Uh, I think that they would have to use a different uh, antagonistic threat. So uh, in that clip... Um, it's slowly panning over um, a set of lockers, uh, and there's a noose on the locker. I don't even think we could show a noose on a locker because of other implications. I think it would have a dark connotation to it, um, darker than here. I think it was supposed to, in my opinion, I, it seems like it would have read in the '80s as kind of playfully, playfully threatening, or, yeah. yeah, whatever. Yeah. But I, and I think now it would have a darker connotation. But I think if they were trying to achieve that darker connotation, I think that could still be in a movie now. So do you think in the modern retelling of A Breakfast Club, there would be a racist? Uh, no, I, I think in, if they were trying to get the same mood and the same atmosphere from the movie, I don't think that it would have, it would use the same homophobic language. No. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what... Unless that was supposed to play into one of the character's emotional breakdowns later in the movie, mm-hmm. I think that could have been the catalyst for that. So maybe they had a gay character... Mm-hmm. and that meant a lot to them that people use that word on them or that maybe people don't even know they're gay. Maybe they're closeted, but they hear that a lot and mm-hmm. it offends them deeply. I think that could have been... Closeted and in denial, aggression. Yeah, and maybe later in the movie they, they come out to the, the, the friends there that they've now made. And that, I think that could have been the linchpin to a very good emotional thread for a character. I would agree with that. Um, so I, I think that the, that stuff could be used but it would be used differently. Yes. I, I think maybe 
they would have to show like a painting over of that word, like uh, the janitors maybe painting over it. Right. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Just to show that the school is doing something to remove that off of a wall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, again, I think it goes to what type of mood they're trying to achieve by mm-hmm. showing us that word. Mm-hmm. And if maybe, maybe the point of it is that the school doesn't care. And that's, uh, I think also a general part, uh, theme of the movie is that they felt that the adults did not care. Right. Parents, the administration, right. the teachers, there was the feeling of not caring. Yeah. So I, I think in that sense, it might play. Again, I think it would be darker, mm-hmm. but I, I think it would, I think it could be done and to, to good effect if, if handled properly. Yes. And that's the big if, because let's all face it. Um, when we watch remakes, we are going in jaded thinking that it's not going to stand up to the original. Yeah. Did you see the new uh, Ghostbusters? I mean, I know that's several years old at this point, but I never saw it. And I Don't. I, yeah. I, I, it, I saw the, the previews for it, and it just kind of seemed upsetting. I love Kate McKinnon. She is a darling. Which one is she? She is the one that kind of... Um, she she's like our friend Allie, with blonde, blonde and just kind of uh, eccentric and goofy fun. Is she the one that was in Ghost Town with Ricky Gervais? No, that's Kristen Wiig. Wiig, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kate McKinnon is the one who played uh, Sean Spicer on SNL. Oh. I don't she's... know that she's been in a lot of movies. She's been in more uh, TV. Gotcha. Okay, I, I know you're talking about though. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, uh, it just, it had nothing to do with the fact that the cast was female, but everything to do with the fact that it felt like the film was insisting upon itself. We're funny. Laugh at us. Yeah. We're fu- We're funny too, guys. Yeah. Um, do you have somebody setting up, uh, equipment outside of your front door? It appears to be my guess, uh, that the neighbors had a critter, Deciding to make a home in the the roof, um, so it looks like they're patching it. It'd be nice if they asked permission before setting up a ladder on my property. Yeah. Why don't Why don't we uh, pause for a moment? Because there now seem to be two people, and well, let's just call this a tea break. Okay. Let's take a tea break. We'll be back in a bit. We won't spill the tea until we return. All right, uh, we're back, and uh, Allison has got some interesting life trivia for us about spilling the tea. So uh, I learned about spilling the tea thanks to uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, and I believe that um, I, I'm not sure the origins of spilling the tea. Um, I think it's when you're sharing gossip or something really juicy, and it's so shocking that ladies who were more dainty and sipping tea would like spilled their tea. They were so shocked by what they heard that their tea would just splatter. So spilling the tea is like dropping truth or, um, expressing, um, so it's not necessarily necessarily you that's spilling the tea. You are causing someone else to spill tea because they're so shocked by what you're saying. Right. But the, the way that it's said in, um, from the, the ways I've heard it used is more let's, let's, Spill the tea. So it's like a shared activity of gossiping or dropping, does dropping share, information. Does Sharon Needles often spill tea on people? Sharon Needles, uh, it's funny that you mentioned it. One of my favorite drag queens, um, I think that is the only drag queen you know by name from yeah. when I <laughs> watched the show 100%. at your place. 
but um, I don't associate share needles with spilling tea. Um, she, um, when she's in character, is, uh, I think, a little more... She's not reserved because she's very theatrical. She's gorgeous and she's everything. Doesn't but, she also do stand-up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think... So spilling tea has a connotation of at someone's expense, and she is not someone who I think viciously attacks others um, for amusement. Unlike um, Bianca Del Rio, who is another famous drag queen, who all she does is attack people, but she does it in this dry cruel way that is just you will die laughing i see um or latrice royale who doesn't necessarily spill the tea but just gives good face to gives uh, good face oh my gosh when she gives the best reactions oh to when tea is being spilled like if i could just pocket someone's reactions and use them as my own to show my disapproval or approval of something Mm -hmm. i would do that with latrice royale Oh, I see. I'm a big drag queen fan. I I've seen love a bunch them. of it. Not, I mean, against my will. I, I don't seek out any kind of reality show. It's true. Um, when Zach and I first got to know each other, I forced him to watch a show about sci-fi makeup called Face Off. <gasps> that is the best reality show ever, though. It is. He did not like any of the parts where the artists were working together or collaborating or talking. Just don't he talk. has a very um deep hatred of people with sob stories. Oh, that's the worst part. <laughs> like, uh, uh, America's got talent. Mm-hmm. I like seeing like when they're up uh, there on the stage doing their thing and mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of the judging. Cause it can either be interesting insight or funny, mm-hmm. but the sob stories, Oh, he is, a, I don't a, care. He is of a strong opinion that just because you had a traumatic upbringing yeah. or a sad thing happened to you, to it doesn't make your talent good. No. And that's not what we should be rating in a talent program. Exactly. We should be rating the talent. Yep. Yep. Show us what you can do. Yeah. I don't care how hard you can cry. I care how hard you can sing. What if it was a talent of really hard sobbing? That'd be interesting, I guess. <laughs> they they get severe dehydration based upon the. If you can pass out the, from crying, the enormity on, of their tears. Yeah, on command. If you can pass out from crying, that's the. Uh, I'd, I'd watch. You've never cried so hard you've hyperventilated. No. Oh, I guess you've never seen Dumbo. Of course, I've seen Dumbo. Oh gosh, I can't. But even I haven't ta- seen it since I was a kid. I can't even talk about it. I know, but uh, <laughs> I haven't seen it since I was a kid. But apparently. So a lot of racism in that movie. Oh, absolutely, hundred <laughs> percent. So I think my uh, my railing just rails. got knocked down. So I'm gonna go investigate. All right, yeah. Allison's walking away from the the program. So they've got workers outside that are handling some sort of pest problem, and they're up on the roof. And I don't know if someone just fell off the roof or not, but this whole podcast is going sideways. Anyway, so uh, as we were saying, Dumbo, um, Dumbo, full of racism, does not uh, really, I, I never enjoyed Dumbo. Something you should know about me, I cry very easily in cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, things that can exacerbate that animals. are when it's animals mm-hmm. or when it is dealing with unwillful separation of families. So mm, that's the, interesting. The the scene. Tell where, me about your childhood. 
I cannot really talk about this scene because I will start crying just thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's this um, Dumbo's mom and the Dumbo are separated and is very sad. And there's a song called Baby Mine. (laughs) She's going. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so I can't talk about it um, because it makes me upset. I don't know why. That's very strange. I'm going to drink some water and Zach is going to entertain you. I'll vamp. I'll vamp. So anyway, let's just get, let's get back to Breakfast Club. Good Lord. Is this the Dumbo podcast? No, 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 no. This is a cinematic podcast educating me and I've seen Dumbo. So let's get back to, uh, (laughs) let's get back to Breakfast Club. Sorry. This is right after we saw the locker with the upsetting word. So we're getting an introduction to uh, some of the kids now. We've got Molly Ringwald. And look at the father's eyes. Look, he looks right down at her. I don't know what he was looking at. It seemed creepy to me. It did look like he was looking at her boobs. Yeah. Yeah. Again. What's he looking at? What's going on here? So something else that to denote wealth, one, he's driving a BMW, two. Scarf. His scarf um, is a Burberry scarf. A what now? Burberry. Oh, my God. Are you about to drop some, like, rich knowledge on me? Burberry, I believe, is a fancy British um, brand. It's kind of like Coach. It's in Burberry. Yes. uh, Go around town wearing my Burberry. Your Burberry scarf, Burberry coat. It's um, I associate it with British, uh, but it could be different origins. But I believe Burberry to be French. Uh, sorry, not French, British. Interesting. Well, what do you what do you call this that the little lady person is wearing? Uh, so like we are going necktie. into the car of Brian, and uh, his young sister is wearing. Trivia. Apparently that's his mother, his real mother, Anthony Michael Hall's mom. Well, then it's the stage mom. <laughs> that's what my trivia machine told me, that it was Anthony Michael Hall's real mom. And the license plate says E equals MC squared. Does it really? Yeah. That's silly. Well, it says EMC squared. Well, see, okay, so this is actually going to get, maybe I, I completely misread something in this movie, but uh, the janitor, the mm-hmm. Dr. Yanni Tor. That comes up later in the movie? Yes. Is that supposed to be Brian's dad? No. Because someone says that. I think Bender asks if that's his dad. And he ke- he keeps mentioning him by name. He was mentioning it in more of a der- derisive way. Like, oh, your dad's a janitor. Right. Well, yeah, but my dad doesn't beat me, Bender. Yeah, uh, right, right. <laughs> not that that is an acceptable thing to say, I would like. <laughs> like <laughs> yes. If, if you are being attacked, sometimes you respond from the hip. And you regret it later. That would be a thing that I I instantly regret saying. <laughs> well, maybe not instantly. Maybe later yeah. when things calm down. But uh, I do like that uh, Mr. Wrestler Man uh, says that about he he insults Bender at some point. I guess about his family life, and then Bender does his one man theater show mm-hmm. about how it is in in his home, and then runs away. He like climbs up the the railing the and then sits up yeah. there, uh, and then. Molly Ringwald calls him out about it, and he's like, well, how was I supposed to know? I he know. lies about everything. I know. They seemed like he felt bad about having insulted him at that point. So well, I yeah, I'd feel bad if someone, I'm like, you were never abused, and then they show me, like, a cigar burn on their arm. Could have been faked. Maybe he did that himself. Just maybe, for more attention. Maybe. I doubt it. But maybe. <laughs> maybe. Oh, boy. I've got so much to say about things later. Who's going to give a scholarship to discipline case? 
So when he says, I think it was earlier, I think we, we might have missed it. We might have been talking over it. Um, Jockman's dad says, you know, I messed around, mm -hmm. but you got caught. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if he's got this kind of accent. They are not from Brooklyn. All right. Well, <laughs> but he said, he, I, I've screwed around before and I didn't get caught. Does this guy cheat on his wife? No, I, when he is talking about screwing around, he is alluding to something we do not know yet, which is he got caught bullying another kid. Well, that's what uh, Jockman did. What did his father do? Bullied kids. Oh, he did that too? Yeah. He, uh, later, um, Emilio Estevez's character um, is talking about how his dad would go on about how when he was a kid, he would bully other children or beat them up. And right. that's part of what he needs to do to assert his dominance. I dominance. Mm -hmm. I and uh, he said, I just um, envisioned my dad, you know, communicating to me that um, he wanted me to do this. Like it, it was almost like his dad was in his head saying that this is a thing you need to do. Yeah. <laughs> Fun trivia, the large sack that he's carrying that we would later determine is filled with lunch is actually a uh, grocer uh, bag from a local chain from um, the Chicago area. Right. Obviously, this town is fake, but um, that is a real grocery store chain in Chicago. So they got a grocery bag from a Chicago-specific store. Yeah, neat. Brought it. And I will say that the car almost hits Bender there, and he kind of swerves a little bit to the left to kind of avoid it, but he pretty much stays on his stride. Mm -hmm. And the camera doesn't cut there. I mean, he really almost did get hit by that car. That must have been a really trustworthy stunt driver. So, uh, funny story, uh, not related to Breakfast Club, but Rosemary's Baby. Mm -hmm. uh, Mia Farrow was forced to walk through a New York City street, and the director shouted at her, full stop for a pregnant woman. <laughs> Hopefully. <Yeah. laughs> Hopefully they recognize that. And uh, later, the, she had the thought, no, I'm going to die. No yeah. one's going to yeah. They were more likely to stop for the guy with the camera. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, oh, yeah. So about Judd Nelson, mm -hmm. um, I told you earlier that um, he actually was off camera acting like his character and he was bullying Molly Ringwald. He actually almost got fired for doing this. Really? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Two method. He was two method. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. So let's see. I'm just looking at my notes. So what movie did, or what movie, what year did this movie come out? 1985, year of oh. my birth. So it's set in 84. That's fascinating. Well, they probably started filming. It wasn't completed until 85 and released to the general public. They should have used ADR to fix that. ADR. Oh, ADR <laughs> is uh, when you record stuff after the fact in a movie. So when you record the like the movie, the the actual visuals and the audio at the same time, and you need to fix something in post by putting your own voice recording. Usually, the camera cuts away from the person speaking, and you record new audio. That's called ADR. Oh. It just fixes audio problems. I learned something new today. Yep. I know. The, I know a lot about the process of making movies. I'm just not, I guess, well versed in old movies. It's true. Zach has a deep appreciation from my knowing him of films that do unique and creative things with um, either dialogue or uh, cinematography, uh, visual effects, practical effects, uh, anything that is kind of groundbreaking um, in that way. Uh, but 
I, I have an entire category that I have added to entice him to watch certain films, which is basically snarkiness of the lead character, because he seems to delight in that. <laughs> I do like a snark. I like a little bit of snark in my characters. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we learned something about me today. This school is so flipping nice. I just wanted to say that again. I mean, look at this library. We were saying that it has all this nice natural lighting and all that, but it's just so big. And mm -hmm. they've got like this glass room over here and a second floor of a, a balcony or I don't even know what you'd call that. Mm -hmm. And a beautiful a card catalog back when we used the Dewey Decimal System. And what is that statue? I, I wonder. I wonder if that was made for the movie or if that came with the school. The modern art. I, I'm not sure. But it's about to be modern art. Soon with pimento loaf. Exactly. And also, uh, Judd Nelson's going to be humping it at some point. Which is always fun. Dancing on it, humping it, same difference. Yeah. I want to congratulate Ooh. you for being on time. So I don't have a, I think a, a marker for this, but whenever uh, the teacher says to Judd Nelson, if you mess with the bull, you get the horns, mm -hmm. is that the first time that expression is used? No. Or was he quoting something that was already a popular expression at the time? I don't know. I was kind of fascinated by that. Because he also does the hand motion. He puts the, uh, the pointer and pinky fingers out. It does look like a bull. Yeah. And the sign language apparently is if you do this with, your, with one hand and you put your fist by your other elbow and mm -hmm. explode out, it's bullshit. Yep. I knew that one. I like that. <laughs> I learned that from working at Barnes & Noble. Oh, you did? From someone who studied ASL. Oh, I see. I don't even remember where I learned that. All right, people, we're gonna try something. I think from me. <laughs> Might have been. We are going to write an essay. So at 7.50, Less thousand words. we see another occurrence of... There we go. Question. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? Give you the answer to that question, Mr. Bender, next Saturday. Uh oh mess with a bull, young man. You'll get the horn. There you go. So he's about to say another... It's a brownie hound. A brownie hound. Mm -hmm. Is that another gay joke? I don't know. That's the, something that I found also uh, in a uh, BBC article that was released in 2015 discussing if this film aged well, and they also did not know. I mean, it could also be like, like a brown noser. Who's just sucking up, like, doing what he can to make himself look good. It kind of reminds me of in The Mighty Ducks, where the kid referenced to the, the wealthy kid. Oh, gosh. He calls him a cake eater. And I was like, is that a Marie Antoinette reference? I bet that just means he's soft. Soft, or I thought, so wealthy, he eats cake. Oh, <laughs> you've got cake money. <laughs> so, childhood, Helson wanted it to be Marie Antoinette. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, so, okay, next thing I have is at 1030. <laughs> the uh, principal is just leaning in his chair trying to... Oh, what, did I miss that? Yeah. Where he leans out? I loved that moment because it's so ineffectual. He's trying to assert some sort of, like, uh, yeah. dominance over this room from mm -hmm. afar by leaning past a wall. I like how he didn't have an actual attendance because uh, we are later to find out that Ali Sheedy did not belong in detention. She just had nothing better to do. Yeah, and I wasn't sure if that was true. Is she also lying? Well, we are made to believe that that is a truth. That is... Because um, it's, it's never uh, undercut later. Right, and so um, we, we think... I love... <laughs> they both take their jackets off at the same time and then Anthony Michael puts his back on. And then 
<laughs> he like rubs his hands together like he's cold and puts his jacket back on. So I think I'm going to take this opportunity. It's later in my notes that I wrote this down, but I'm just going to say it now. Judd Nelson is a, he's dreamy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He is, he is a heartthrob. Yeah. But problematic in today's viewpoint with some of the behaviors he exhibits. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say Molly Ringwald seems drawn to him the whole movie. And so were you mm-hmm. when you were in middle school. Why? Like I'm, I'm drawn to him in a weird sort of way, but I, because negging to a certain age group is super effective because we are in that seeking approval phase. I hit you. You hit the floor. But, um, yeah, it like when later there's a scene where he puts his head between her legs. I'm like, yes. oh yeah, that is well, assault. That's, that's what that no, is. that's what I have at 10:30. That was gonna be my next thing. What? Let's just scan. I lose my temper, you're tall, man. Totally. Totally. Oh no, that was he wants to rape Molly. Okay, I guess he must have said something. Nobody here is interested. Oh yes, he says, uh, "Let's get the prom queen pregnant." Yeah, what the hell was that about? <laughs> yeah, no, he he's not only advocating uh, group. Uh, Non-consensual sex, right? Yeah. <laughs> so just because you live in here doesn't give you the right to be a pain in the ass. So knock it off. Give me that screw. I don't have it. This is going to be your favorite line. Out of that seat and shake it out of you. I don't have it. Screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. <laughs> the world's an imperfect place. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Why would anybody want to steal a screw? Phil, we'll keep going. You want another one? Say the word. Just say the word. Instead of going to prison, you'll come here. Instead of going to prison for what? Whatever future crimes he commits. No. Oh, okay, so this is a future threat. Yeah. I see. Um, there's this very funny uh, version of this interaction on the Not Another Teen movie. Oh, I haven't seen that either. So that one is less important to see. It's still pretty funny. Um, it has uh, Captain America before he was Captain America. Uh, was, isn't he from Boyston? Uh, Chris Evans? I'm not sure. I don't know where Chris Evans hails from, but thought it might have been Boyston. Uh, so there's a scene with uh, three gentlemen, and it's the same interaction. And they actually got Paul Gleason in to reprise his role for okay. the feud. I'll I'll show it to you uh, at our next break. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so the next thing I have, oh, th- going to prison, and everyone calls him the uh, the 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 criminal. Mm-hmm. Why is he a criminal? What's he done? Uh, he has drugs in his locker. That is a criminal act. In Come on. Uh, he has a switchblade. Ooh, I wanted to bring that up. <laughs> that was not scripted. That was his knife. Oh, <laughs> that's charming. That was the, his <laughs> knife. He just brought that to the set. They didn't know he was going to pull that out. Oh. And he just did. Excuse him while he whips that out. Which I think, like, it seems like he was, you were saying he, he comes from money and he, he was perhaps a preppy sort of person. Mm-hmm. He seemed like a nut. Yeah, I, I think a lot of method actors are nuts. I mean, it's just the way that they absorb that character. Like, um, I hear that Daniel Day-Lewis can be a little hard to work with because yeah. he is a method actor. I, I couldn't imagine trying He's to He's the work- most method of method. Like, he wants people to call him, like Abraham Lincoln when he was mm-hmm. doing Lincoln. Yeah, it just... Uh, Heath Ledger method, um, yeah. and Heath Ledger, you know, that, that was such a sad story and not trying to bring our audience down, but, you know, trying to 
remove himself from some of the characters was causing him mental distress. So I, I think that um, with some method actors, part of the method is coming out of the character and some right. of them fail to, to do that. So this isn't my own opinion, but my grandfather is a, uh, he's been a theater teacher, a playwright and director all around the world. He's very into the theater scene and acting and all this. And he hates method actors. Mm-hmm. He says it's not acting. If you make that yourself, if you turn yourself into the character and you're like that all the time. And uh, I think there was a movie called Marathon Man where uh, he, he actually ran a marathon before filming. Mm-hmm. He was destroyed for the, the scene. He couldn't do his lines right. They actually had to refilm it later uh, because it's not acting. It's, it's just you being you. And it's not, there's no skill. There's no actual craft to mm-hmm. that. So that's something to think about. I don't know if I agree with that necessarily, but I th- I can see merits and problems with method acting. Uh, I think it was Laurence Olivier uh, who got on certain actors for using method because he said, you know, um, have you tried acting? Because it, the the characters were doing extreme things like not showering mm-hmm. or eating or brushing their teeth and becoming um, sick. Um, or gross. <laughs> yeah, hard <laughs> to work with. Hard to work with because most of the time in acting, you have to get up close to your uh, counterparts, the other actors. And um, he, I, I forget the exact quote, but I think he's like, have you just tried acting like that person <laughs> instead of doing that? <laughs> so when he, uh, at 20-something or other, uh, he yells, fuck you to the teacher. But it is kind of in a weird way. And I'm wondering if it was real because the teacher never goes back in. I think the, uh, what else is he going to do? Give him another Saturday of detention? He takes him into a closet later and basically... Threatens him. Yeah. So Anthony Michael Hall and Molly Ringwald in this movie were actually the only ones still considered child actors based on their age. Yeah, they were 16, right? Yeah, so they could only film four days out of the week. So they had stand-ins to film some of the other scenes where Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall couldn't be because of child labor laws. So I wanted to... At what point in the movie does he put his head between her legs? That is after he falls through the ceiling after being locked in the closet. Well, so my question to you is if she was 16 and he was, I think, 24 at the time. Body double. You think that's what it was? Yeah, I don't think he would have, they would have put his head between that of a child. Yeah. I think that would have been. Even for the 80s? Even for the 80s would have been infringing on. Crossing some lines. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up. And also, I guess at the end when they kiss, what's your thought on that? Is that right? Wrong? I mean, she's she's 16. It is not unlikely in the world that she would have kissed a boy um, or a girl, whatever she was feeling. But in that case, um, one, I don't know how old um, Judd Nelson was at the time of the filming. 24. Um, 24? 
it's a little skeevy, but he's playing a high schooler. She signed on to, to do that role. I, I, I think it just, it wasn't that of an impassioned kiss. I mean, it was a high school Allison thought it was the most romantic thing ever, but adult Allison <laughs> does not see it as that um, lingering. Or You were hoping for more tongue. No, not not now adult Allison looking back and looking at it as an age gap issue. No, yeah. I do not. <laughs> that is not what I'm saying. <laughs> well, so my thought on it is if you're going to have a child actor mm-hmm. kiss anyone, including another child actor, it's it, you're not actually witness to a real life relationship. So mm-hmm. I think the age gap doesn't matter so much. But I am kind of curious about uh, I mean, this is going to get to other implications like prostitution versus porn. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between... Uh, Normally a camera. Like if, you've got, <laughs> like if you've got elementary school kids or uh, middle school kids and they're meant to kiss each other for a scene, mm-hmm. you're like telling kids to kiss each other. Like that seems, on, just on a psychological level for me, seems weird. And you're like, all right, everyone gather around. Let's watch these kids kiss. I don't think when kids are made to kiss in film, it's intended to be a passionate romantic thing. I, like, I think it's most of the time when that's captured in film, it is seen as a coming of age thing that we've all done. Oh, sure. Like for yeah. the purpose of the story. I don't think yeah. the story is weird, but the actual physical act of the directors and writers and the line producers and everyone is standing around and like, all right, you two kids, do you do something romantic for us to watch? So right I now? also think that um, a way around that, um, that a lot of uh, times is utilized is specific camera angles to make it look like they're kissing when they're either not yeah. or uh, chin chin or below the lip ah, yeah. um so it's it's weird when you put it into like it i don't think anyone is deriving well i shouldn't say anyone because there's horrible people in the world but i don't think anyone is looking at that and deriving a um adult or sexual misgiving from it i sure. think it's just uh an exploration it's of, a professional yeah thing. Yeah, as it should be. I'm just, I was, uh, the, the psychological aspect, I don't know that I could ask two kids to kiss. No, I couldn't either, but that's why we're not directors. Yeah, I yeah. suppose. Or directors of uh, children in films. <laughs> yeah. So. Anywho. Um, well, that took a deeper turn. Stop doing <laughs> that, Zach. Gosh. Well, I was curious about it. I, it, was, it, was, it was from the, the fact that she's 16 and he's 24, which I think making people kiss... <laughs> Like even making adults kiss, I guess, is kind of psychologically just weird for a person to do. But I guess if you're professional, you're in that world, you're you're used to it. But yeah. but having a 16 year old kiss a 24 year old, I mean, if that were a real relationship, that'd be something I guess to worry about. But yeah, um, if it's for a movie, I don't think there's much wrong. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just looking through my notes. Oh, so when she uh, sprinkles her hair dandruff on Ugh, her picture, I hate that scene. Just be- how dry is her scalp? Get her some head and shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently that was Parmesan cheese. Oh. Well, there you go. I figured they would have some more Hollywood, like like a pre-made dandruff tub. Just for any Hollywood movie Hollywood dander for <laughs> all of your Hollywood needs. Doesn't it seem like appropriate? Like Hollywood would just have supplies like this? How around? many movies 
often used dander that they would have like a, you know, an Acme dander brand. Well, you know, it doesn't get used very often, so it's, it's always available. It's aged dander. Yes. <laughs> it's wise dander. Um, so at some point, uh, Judd Nelson, I think, got... I see you getting all bunged up and then making you wear these kind of clothes. He insults Anthony Michael Hall. A neo maxi zoon dweeby. It's kind of Latin. What the hell does that mean? Was that a thing in the eighties? Were no. you ever consider- considered a neo maxi zoon dweeby? When this film came out, I was born. So no, I don't. I don't think I was ever called that. Oh, so you think it faded faded out of uh, popular lexicon? I don't think it was ever part of popular lexicon. I think that was a Bender original. You think it was a Bender original? <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently he was doing a lot of uh, improv, including apparently the scene uh, near the end where Anthony Michael Hall uh, admits that he almost tried to kill himself or did try to kill himself or something. Mm-hmm. He had a gun. Flare gun. But it was a flare gun. Mm-hmm. Apparently that entire scene was ad-libbed. Really? The entire scene. That's what I read anyway. And that's one of the more powerful scenes. Exactly. That, I feel like they must have given them some like some story guidance. beats. Yeah, yeah, story beats that they you have to hit here, here, and here, but how you get there is up to you. Mm-hmm. I would guess that's how they did it, but that it didn't Gosh. say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for like uh, emotional resolution for characters mm-hmm. and like really big plot points to have just been ad-libbed just seems crazy. And I wonder, you know, how much of that is pulling from you know, the actor's experience with youth and, and growing up because uh, a lot of the pressures that they denote, I can only imagine how much uh, pressure is amplified um, when you are an actor. I had a question about her loving bad boys. Oh, no, this is about... <laughs> the uh, Is that your father? Yeah, I feel like he said that and nobody refuted it. Well, it's... Uh... I think it was alluded to the fact that he was just being rude to the janitor um, and and the nerd at the same time. Be like, huh, you know the janitor. Yeah, but neither of them denied it. I feel like uh, John Malkovich was trying to indicate that John... What's the name of the director? Hughes. <laughs> John <laughs> was, Malkovich. Was try- <laughs> Imagine if John Malkovich directed this movie. Oh, gosh. Uh, It'd be a more offbeat movie. It'd be weird. It'd be real weird. <laughs> But don't you, I, I think that he was trying to uh, indicate that that really was his father. It's not. Do we ever see his father? No, but I... You think he's a more educated man? I didn't say that. Uh, I, I think that the interesting classist. thing about the janitor is Allison that he... raised to be classist. I'm not being, I'm trying to explain why he's a very interesting <laughs> character. He's dynamic. Sure. Um, you know, saying that he observes and is the eyes and ears. And I think he's a very interesting character. Um, However, later when he's mocking um, Anthony Michael Hall's character, he's also saying, you know, life at Big Bride's house and Mr. Johnson, the, the janitor's name is not Mr. Johnson. Yeah, dad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's do your homework on the boat. (laughs) Gee. (laughs) Isn't life swell? (laughs) But the, that picture he paints uh, alludes to a certain uh, acumen of education and wealth that he is not subscribing also to the janitor. But I think that was all of... Well, that's a good point. But I still think you're wrong. You're entitled I have, to I have, your incorrect opinion. I have no more counter evidence <laughs> to provide. But I like the idea that his dad was a janitor. And Zach he, is a contrarian. I, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> you can't prove a damn thing. 
that's silly. Um, okay, so I want to know if you can tell me what on earth they're whistling. You guys think I'm just telling to touch me, peasant, sir? Peon? See, that's what Allison thinks. Maybe so. She thinks he's a surf uh, peon. Like you Although, I want to say about him, you're saying he was an interesting character and he's the eyes and ears. He catches the teacher dude looking through their classified files. And, and blackmails the crap out of him. But doesn't actually do anything. Like, he doesn't help. He made 50 bucks. Yeah. He <laughs> made money off of the, the children's exploitation. But we also only know that these characters, these... Um, and he had some beers. So, so seven characters are in the school. They are the only people at the school. What was he all supposed to do aside from what he did? Sound the alarm. Yes. Sound what alarm? The fire alarm. We don't exactly Call... have cell phones. The, the Zach Morris phone is not. <laughs> no, but he can't. Well, he can't take snap evidence have... pictures, but he can tell the principal what he found. But the problem is he can't until Monday. He's not going to be, I'm going to go get on the telephone. <laughs> they didn't have telephones back in the 80s? Well, no, he could, but I just don't think that it was Get really, him on the horn. Get the president on the horn. I don't think he cares that much. He should. He cared $50 worth. Exactly. So what you're saying is that this lowly janitor... I never called him that. <laughs> ...is also a scumbag. No. And just takes bribes. No. He puts the, the um, educator in his place for being horrible. Yeah, takes his money. He takes his money, but he also uh, educates him that, you know, it's not the children that have changed. You've changed. And That's you're true. scared that they will not be there he for drops you. A, he drops a little tea on him. Yeah. He spills the tea. He spills, drops tea, spills tea? He uh, casts shade and spills the tea. Yeah. Did he sashay away? Kind of. Yeah. In a very janitorial kind of way. <laughs> he sashayed <laughs> in a janitorial way. That's ridiculous. Okay, so what do we have? Do you have any other notes, to, uh, things you wanted to analyze? I'm just going through my timestamps. And... So uh, the whistle scene, um, I most know that song from... Um... It's supposed to be around here somewhere. There it is. I mean, it's tone deaf. There we go. I feel like I recognize this song, but I don't know. Is it from, like, Peter Pan? It's, um, I associate it with, oh gosh, now I'm going to, it's either Bridge Over the River Kwai or, um, The Dirty Dozen. The Dirty Dozen. <laughs> Uh-oh, Teacher Man's come back. So, do you, do you know the name of the song? Um, I know joking lyrics to the song, but, um. All right, she's hitting the Google machine. Yeah. While she does that. I'm going to look through my notes here. So I've got them whistling. Oh, my God. I have to do this. Not only because I'm a big fan of sushi, but by God, this lady, Molly Ringwald, I don't care how rich you are. Look at this. She has a sushi kit. My got... problem with that is how long does that sushi keep? How cold is that room? Because Apparently it was food cold. poisoning. Apparently it was cold there. Yeah. But even if you could keep it well, who packs sushi? But who has like the board and everything like that? That's, I mean, you grew up rich and I don't think you, you said you ever had a, uh, a sushi board. I mean, not until I was an adult and bought one and a sushi tatami mat so I could practice rolling my own sushi. Do you take it on the go? No. Yes. <laughs> so it is the song, as I thought, from Bridge Over the River Kwai. Okay. It's called uh, The Colonel Bogey March. Colonel Bogey March. Mm -hmm. 
Why were they singing it? Um, whistling it? In that scene, uh, it denotes... So Bridge Over the River Kwai, um, the soldiers are captured and forced to help um, build a bridge. So it has meaning. So it has meaning in the sense that... Uh, <laughs> Apparently they're hammering now. Yes. <laughs> this is a great podcast. Everybody, this is the sort of quality you can come to expect. Um, it was often whistled by British prisoners of war uh, during the film um, in a, a great Jap- Japanese prison camp. Oh, okay. uh, I was just bridge over the river Kwai. Yeah. No, I thought there was going to be another one. British officers. It serves as a symbol of defiance and optimism in the face of adversity. And so it does too. Because they're supposed to be having their spirits broken, so they're whistling this joyful jaunt. So that is the correlation to Breakfast Club. They are yeah. supposed to have their spirits broken, and they're just enjoying life. I think so, that makes a lot of man. sense. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So here we've got a, a scene where they've gone into the uh, the gym, and Bender's playing basketball. Oh, he had run a distraction. And he wants to be an airborne soldier. <laughs> Who, Bender? Well, that's the song that he sings. It's uh, an airborne song. So uh, they've, he's now in the gym, and Teacher Man caught up with him. And uh, he ha- says an expression here that I think is fantastic. And I don't know if it's a real expression. I've never heard it before, but I also want to know what it means. Get your thoughts on it here. When you're out of here, you forgot all about this place, and they forgot all about you, and you're wrapped up in your own pathetic life. I'm going to be there. That's right. And I'm going to kick the living shit. Oh, boy. I'm going to knock your dick in the dirt. <laughs> I'm going to knock your dick in the dirt. Yeah, it's uh, knocking you out so you go face forward and fall into the dirt. What's his dick got to do with it, though? That is a part of the front of you. In my experience of male anatomy, which I don't have. <laughs> yeah. So you say. So I say. <laughs> but it sounds like he's kicking him dick first. No, it just meaning he's knocking him out so he falls into the ground. Most likely when you fall forward, you're going to hit the lower extremities before the top ones. So, I mean, physically it makes Do sense. Do you think? Like if you're unconscious, I feel like his head I is... have not knocked out a lot of people. Well, yeah, but also, <laughs> unless you are extraordinarily well-endowed, your head's heavier than your, your dick. Yeah, but your head is falling down, but the lower extremities will still hit the ground first. Yeah. I mean... What about his knees? His knees hit first. His knees hit first, but then the groinular area. The groinulars? The groinulars. Yeah, but I, I don't know. It Testicles. sounds silly. I like it. You like it as an expression? <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> is it something that you ever heard before? Uh, no, but I didn't question it either. I just accepted that as a threat. <laughs> it certainly sounds threatening. It's like two Knock hits, me hitting you, you hitting the ground. Yeah, but the, the, I don't know. It sounds... Just something about dick and dirt. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, so anyway, and I also had a note about this scene in general, mm-hmm. which is that it kind of rang false for me. And maybe that's because uh, Judd Nelson is older than he's supposed to be, but he's big. He's imposing, like me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just feel like he wouldn't take this sort of threatening from an older guy that's, I think, shorter than him. I, I feel like he could take him. He's got a knife. He, so I think it is alluding to a certain vulnerability of the character. Oh, so you think he kind of represents his dad here. Kind of. And the, the fact that, uh, like he said, if Judd did anything, no one would believe that he did not instigate it first. And whatever happened subsequently was not self-defense. He wanted him to hit first. So 
he could have this fight with him. But if there, the fight took place, Judd Nelson's character would have taken all of the fall for it. Yeah. It's not right, but that's, I mean, I, yeah, I yeah. think there is truth in that. I, I, I agree with that. But I also think that before he said that, it seems weird that Judd Nelson sat himself down and isn't standing up beforehand. I think... But, in, but I can kind of also see, especially once he said that, but also I, I he might see him as kind of his father and once he, uh, like a father type figure. Mm-hmm. And since he fears his father, I think, mm-hmm. once a uh, an older man starts acting that way toward him, maybe he immediately goes into that mode where he just shrinks back inside himself. And think about it also further. While the actor is 24, he is playing a child. He is playing a teenager. Right. And so... Um, people who experience trauma, I think, can sometimes go into themselves in this way, this kind of um, fear, uh, fight or flight response. He is escaping kind of inwardly. Um, I think it's a fear paralysis almost because, mm-hmm. like you said, maybe he identifies this character as his father, you know, his age type. Yeah. Or, um, yeah. Not necessarily a father figure, but he's the right age and he's a man and he's kind of being dominant right now and yelling mm-hmm. and saying that no one will believe you. I can't imagine how that would make a person feel right. like just it's, um, you know, just that kind of unapologetic hostility. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. All right, so here we've got uh, when Bender sneaks back into the room. He's falling through the floor, and he's about to get a little rapey. It was the Wu-Tang Clan. They brought it. (laughs) What is that noise? (laughs) I think he was doing a Three Stooges. Oh, here he goes, staring into her pants and even going in, diving in. But what's that noise? Oh, uh, she's crushing his head with her knees. Yeah. She's doing a little bit so of... So she fractured his skull? Yeah, like the, the golden eye chick, the one that could crush people with her thighs. Is it Femke Jensen's character? I haven't seen Golden Eye since I was a little baby boy. Everyone played the game. Less people saw the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the game, yeah. Uh, but I think... That was that a that was a Pierce Bronze Brosnan one. Yep. Yeah. That was Pierce Brosnan and um, uh, Femke Jensen and Mr. Mr. Bean. So this is gonna, I think, play thematically with uh, Mr. All, Sean Bean, all, all the other kind of cinematic <laughs> uh, gaps I have in my knowledge. Mm-hmm. But Pierce Brosnan was my first James Bond. Mm-hmm. He was my James Bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, everyone identifies with one. Yeah. But then, you know, Daniel Craig came over and I love Daniel Craig's, but still, if I think James Bond, Piers Brosnan with the great hairline, perfectly black hair and the suit and the gun pose, that seems more James Bondy to me than anything else in the world. Yeah. I, I mean, he has that kind of suave debonair kind yeah. of behavior. Um, but then Sean, again, I haven't seen any of the old Sean Connery ones or before. Before Sean Connery. Well, he was the first filmed one, right? Mm-mm. Uh, it, oh, gosh. Here we go. IMDb again. It's, uh, so there is great debate amongst the, the James Bond fandom about who is the true James Bond. Um, well, I know there was a, like a radio play or something 
with that was the original original and then but i thought that uh, sean connery was the very first filmed no um so the film uh, sorry i'm trying to pull it up uh, because there's um toby stevens uh david nevin barry nelson roger moore who is my 007 roger wow. moore will always because oh gosh he just a way of speaking um can you imitate his voice no <laughs> give it a try no 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 um but uh timothy dalton is another one who right. got so oh timothy he, was dalton, he the first one no what am i why am i thinking that i remember hearing listening to somebody debate who the first james bond was that's why i knew well so i think there there's more of uh uh people who identify with certain as they are James Bond. So Roger Moore's mine. Um, I think a lot of men feel Sean Connery is theirs. Um, I, I think it was Sean Connery. I couldn't get past the jumpsuit I, he wore. <laughs> so Timothy Dalton, um, Timothy Dalton was before Pierce Brosnan, but he was by no means the first because Timothy Dalton, you know, he was, you've seen the rocketeer, correct? No. Oh gosh, um, I made you watch a couple episodes of Penny Dreadful. He was the, oh, yeah. the quartermain character. The the it's been a while. The man who was searching for his daughter. I only remember the main woman lady. Okay, I'm gonna be showing Zach a picture because he has a very identifiable look, Mr. Timothy Dalton. Mm-hmm. So while you're doing that, um, I'm gonna play this. I remember detecting some what something or something that could have been racism. Oh, it was the way Anthony Michael Hall speaks, I think. He always has a very similar... <laughs> so that character that Anthony Michael Hall is using, he does in every single movie when he's still this little nerdy boy, uh-huh. either doing drugs or drinking. Right, he and pla- that seems like he's doing a black character, he's like a black do- jazz character. Yeah, he's doing a character type. I don't know if the intention is just a character or what he thinks someone would be like who is stoned or drunk or... But he's putting on a voice. It sounds like he's doing a black jazz character. Oh, yeah. I'm not I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just... Racist as mother... Can't believe this guy. This movie gets zero roses. Oh, yep. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just wanted to get your take on that. Is that how it plays for you? It does. Um, and I don't understand the character he's using... I'm wondering if it is a reference to a specific character in a movie or um, a radio program or a commercial or le- something. I'm not sure what character he's building there. Hmm. It seems almost like the uh, the Robin Williams character. He like always pulls out the same black uh, characterization, like impression that he does. I would agree with that, yeah. I think he holds on to one thing because he knows it works yeah. or it doesn't work now, but back then he was able to tap into it. Right. Uh, All right. So, Oh, you had the picture and uh, I don't recognize that guy. Hmm. I'm sure Timothy Dalton has appeared in something you have seen, but we will have to hunt down something for Timothy Dalton later. Indeedly. So I thought this was funny. Um, Anthony Michael Hall has the fake ID. Here in a second. And. <laughs> oh, I thought you were handing me something. Oh. <laughs> um, why did Anthony Michael Hall mess up his age so much? He's well, supposed to be into physics and all this nerdy stuff. So I'm not. They never really say how he got it. So I'm wondering if he 
purchased it from uh, a nefarious source or uh, if he built it himself. But it, I think it's cute that he aged himself so he could vote. Um, so just generally in this scene, I think a lot of this was supposed to be ad-libbed also. <laughs> I love that. The tandem no. Yeah. So, My God, how many tampies does she need? <laughs> well, she's got a heck of a flow. <laughs> Those are also the world's largest tampons. <laughs> <laughs> a heck of a flow. Yeah. Uh, so I think that Jock Man and Trash Lady are really good pairing mm -hmm. because she doesn't play by anybody's rules at all and he plays by everybody's rules. Or that's kind of the established... Oh, I love this scene where um, Sporto confronts her about why her home life is unsatisfying. Right. There you go. Plays by everybody else's rules. So at what point did you start to detect some sort of romantic atmosphere between these two? Here. You think? Mm-hmm. Because they finally connected. And she trusted him. But you can never tell. She might still be lying. Although she didn't say anything. Has it ever established what her parents do that's so bad? Now that is some teenage emotion. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the next thing I've got is at 110. So something else I, I want to comment on the movie just in general. It doesn't, it, it's got kind of the hallmark of an older movie where it doesn't cut the camera a lot. Mm -hmm. It'll rest the camera on someone for a while. And there aren't a million angles for the one person talking. It's pretty much just the one angle. Mm -hmm. And it'll kind of cut back and forth between people as the conversation's going. And I love that. I think modern movies cut way too often. And or not at all in single shot films. Which I like. And I, I mean, uh, they use tricks to actually cut the camera where it looks like they don't. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I like that. I think that especially modern action movies, like you can get through a 30 second fight scene and the camera cuts, you know, a hundred times. You can cover up a lot of um, non-professional technique with cuts exactly yeah. yeah and that's what i like about john wick the john wick movies you can watch a fight scene in that and the camera maybe cuts once but usually doesn't cut at all that's a movie i have to start like 15 minutes in <laughs> well the first movie anyway yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't think another dog dies i uh, think that's the only dog that dies yeah i i have again well, just extreme problems with animal death <laughs> i think you need to do the same thing with game of thrones <sighs> So I watched, I, I didn't like all the animals that the game was from. I know, but only... First five episodes? Uh, well, Sansa's direwolf dies. Yeah, well, is murdered. Yeah, is murdered. That hurts. Yeah. Especially the Lady book. did not do anything. I know. Yeah. She was perfect, just like her owner. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> well, what's wrong with Sansa? You, uh, you wouldn't. Well, know. Th- this is not a Sansa discussion, so let's breakfast oh, okay. club. Breakfast club. No animals in breakfast club. Well, unless you count the teacher. Well, and Judd Nelson's behavior. Manimal. <laughs> uh, and at one, uh, an hour thirteen. It, I thought it was. Oh wait, no, we didn't even get to the funny line he, where he says that. Uh, she says that he can't think for himself, and he says she's right. <laughs> That doesn't seem like... Just very deadpan. Yeah. It doesn't seem like something a human would say. <laughs> She's right. I can't think. Oh, he's telling the uh, the story of how he... Taped buns together. Taped some butt cheeks together. And then later jokes about it. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of weird. Well, he's already been contrite. So he's had his <laughs> moment of contrition. Now he can go back to laughing at that kid. I, I think exploiting he was his more, suffering for I laughs. I think he was more uh, mocking himself, saying, and that's when he's offering, he's like, I have no talent. All I can do is like tape your butts together. Yeah. He's not mocking that kid in particular. He's mocking his crime. Mm. I guess, but still, it seems. It seems in bad taste. Yeah. later in the conversation and I just pulled it here because I thought it was really funny that Anthony Michael Hall has fallen asleep there he is that's ad lib too he was so bored by the conversation fell asleep I thought he was covering his face oh he is not because he's sleeping (laughs) because he's just uh, overwhelmed by the emotional experience I don't know it's my theory that he fell asleep because when he pulls his face up he wipes away tears. I didn't see any tears. Yeah. I see no tears. Anyway, so I don't know. That's that's about all I have for the uh, the timestamps. The last thing I had was just when they did her makeup again mm-hmm. at the end. Oh yeah, trash they lady made her. Uh, and they were Princess saying, like, yeah, and they were saying how much better she looked. I thought she looked better with uh, her gothy makeup on. Uh, you could see her face better with the removal of the like, just pushing back the bangs, and you could see her face a little bit better. I liked her how she was. I. She didn't need to change. I yeah i I don't like that she had to change to be part of Sporto's world. Uh, I wonder how long the makeover would last. Exactly. It seems like it was a relationship built on a rocky foundation. She's changing herself to be what he wants, and that's just not right. So uh, who do you think had the highest contribution to the film? Which character? Uh, Bender. I think Bender brought them together. I would agree with that. Uh, I think without Bender it would not have forced them to engage in dialogue with each other. Exactly, yeah. They all would have sat there. They all would have written their little essays because none of them was combative about anything. They were just going to placidly go along with whatever you know, menial task they were given and then play out the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. But Bender gave them someone to hate and then someone to love. <laughs> so he's my MVP. Okay. So for a real rating... Um, my nostalgia rating was high. Ten. No, it was no, it was, it was, it was a whole bushel. It was a bouquet. Bouquet. Yeah. Whole bouquet. Um, but my real rating, looking at it from my modern lens, mm-hmm. I pulled back to an eight. 
because there are some things that were in the film that uh, are problematic. I can identify them as issues of the time, mm -hmm. um, but it's still hard for me to not wince when certain words are used or recognize certain things as assault or negging. So what, what specific things made you think that the, the quality bar was dropped? Uh, that would bring you back from a 10 to an 8. One, uh, the diversity of the cast. I think it would be more impactful if there was more diversity. It would have more voices, more things to focus on. I think having diversity of voices is a good thing, mm -hmm. and that should be encouraged more. But this was a story about some privileged white people, well, ish, in a, uh, a really nice school. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that that sort of... I think that diversity still would have been a, a thing at that school. It, def I, it definitely yeah. would have added something. Yeah. I, I think that just it would have made a more powerful story to have more uh, diversity in the group of kids. Um, and that's just, you know, that's my personal feeling. Um, I think that also, uh, we, we alluded to this conversation a little bit earlier, but in a modern retelling of it, um, some of the issues, um, with the felt like, um, Brian bringing a gun to school, he would have had an automatic, um, expulsion. Mm -hmm. I, it wouldn't have even been a conversation. He also would have needed therapy. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. If he was actually trying to end his life and he was end stupid enough to think yeah. he could do it with a flare gun and bring a gun to school. I don't to like do this now. kid that knows so much about physics, but doesn't know that he can't kill himself with a flare gun. You could, you would just have to shoot the right way. Like if you shot yourself in the mouth with a flare, I'm new. This is going to turn into a bad thing. I do not could have you? a key. Could you? I think it would hurt you. I think I, it would ruin like your your face. Yeah, I, I think, think it, I think there's enough power in a flare gun that if you fired the right way, you could end your own life. It's have you ever shot a like a, I'm just the firework victims like <laughs> they they well an M80 certainly could do something yeah yeah I mean because the the point of a flare gun is that there's a pressure and a concentration that's happening. I've had a, an M80 go off in my hand. Uh, my cat just decided to dance under my feet and it startled me. <laughs> I've had an M80 go out of my hand, go off in my hand, and it was, I thought I lost my hand because I couldn't feel it for a moment. Oof. That's your brain protecting itself because the pain was probably so bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, it's uh, looking back on a modern perspective on an older film, I can appreciate that it is a snapshot in time, but I think um, there are ways to that could elevate it to the next level. Um, that, that's all. Uh, that, that's the reason my real rating is lower mm -hmm. than my nostalgia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I think that I would give it a, and see, this is where I'm, I'm going to have a hard time. I guess we should give it like the maximum rating should be like the best. This genre of movie could produce teenage drama comedy. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not, not going to put lot. it up with the Godfather. <laughs> No, well, <laughs> so that, that's a different because if the godfather yeah. is a nine or a ten then this has to be several ranks lower no it's not the godfather if i, I don't know if i did have to give it a rating uh in its own genre teenage drama comedies 
I would say it's probably a nine, maybe a 10 even. I don't know. I don't know how you'd get better at portraying what they were trying to portray, yeah, which I, was a gentrified school. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, they, they were telling a story and I think it doesn't matter what color the people are necessarily. I mean, I don't want people to be rejected because of what color they are, but they were telling a specific kind of story and I think they did it really well. They were only trying to identify five high school uh, archetypes. Yeah. And so there are more archetypes out there mm-hmm. and a wider diverse array of people, but uh, they, they had these few and uh, I think they, they ended up doing it really well. It was a good mixture of chemistry Anti and pro chemistry. I think it'll be an interesting thing to compare your viewpoints on this film with Mean Girls, uh, which is a modern high school setting, and that's another film that we intend to show. Now, that one is breaking our molds a little bit in the sense that it's more of a contemporary film uh, that I'm showing you, but oh, yeah. it is, is that, on our list. I don't know if that's, uh, I think the rules strictly state that it has to be. 80s and earlier. I think you're trying to avoid that movie. It sounds bad. (laughs) (laughs) It isn't. And I think uh, some of our friends will have my back on that, namely Kaya, even Chris. You think Chris is going to say that this is a movie worth what this is going to stand up to The Godfather? I never No, We already identified that we are holding films in different genre fields to compare it to for teenage comedies with drama elements. It will hold. And so what, what nostalgia, well, you don't have to get into that. What is the, what, to me, it sounds like it's going to be some, oh my God, did you see her hair today? I can't believe it. And it's talking be about like, Becky's uh, and her posterior yeah, being so Look big. at her butt. It is so big. No, it's, there's more depth to it than that, um, but we will save it for when you watch it. I think you uh, should go in with I'm, a- You're forcing me to watch that movie. Eventually. Are you it, saying this is more important to watch? Than Casablanca. No, but that is a good lead in for uh, our next film. Yep. If you should choose to join professional us, professional podcaster here, our professional podcast, um, you will be delighted and enamored with uh, Time Gone By uh, with Casablanca, arguably one of the best films in cinematic history of all genres. So, when was the last time you watched it? About three weeks ago, because I saw it on Disney Plus, uh, they they put it on HBO Max, and I was really excited, because it had been a while since I'd seen it. This was a film that I had to watch in one of my film studies class. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a little bit of a Humphrey Bogart um, thing going on between that and then a film called Key Largo, which I would also recommend, but uh, I think Casablanca cinematically is an important film to watch for anyone who enjoys cinema. Um, it's groundbreaking um, in its storytelling, its appeal. Um, it deals with uh, wartime issues, romance, uh, deception. Just, it, it, I, I sound like I'm describing The Princess Bride. It has sports and chases and escapes. <laughs> in my mind, Casablanca is all in a like Victorian... Uh, English alleyway with a hobo on the ground and a rich guy above him shouting at him. That's in my mind what that movie is like. Not at all. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, set in wartime Morocco um, (laughs) at the rise of um, the German uh, party. Uh, So it's uh, 
the the lead character owns a bar in Morocco, um, and he is helping certain people escape um, to different neutral zones at a cost. Well, now you're talking my language, neutral zone. Mm-hmm. Does this tie in with Star Trek at all? No. It... <laughs> That's a shame. No. Uh, although I don't know that Star Trek ever went to Morocco, but you would be they the They do go to the on. neutral zone all the time, though. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, it, it's more a, a story of this American who owns this bar in Morocco and trying to help certain um, outlaws of uh, the German government get ref- to a refugee uh, safe zone. Gotcha. All right. Well, now I don't need to watch the movie. Oh, you absolutely do. Is it really going to be better than that explanation? Absolutely it is. All right. How many nostalgia points would you give it? Well, it doesn't matter because you spoiled it because you've watched it recently. <laughs> so you're really giving it your real rating. But if you can remember the first time you saw it, what do you remember feeling about it? Oh, gosh. I just, I was so intrigued by um, the, the characters and the story that they developed. There's this very powerful scene that I won't get into um, that takes place with a an anthem of a certain country being sung and just the emotion behind it was just, it was palpable. Was it Kazakhstan? Yes, it was the Kazakhstan <laughs> National Anthem. I love that song. <laughs> no, it. Um, I, I don't want to spoil too much, but it just, it, the movie, it, it's timeless. Good. All right. So what would be your nostalgia rating? Perfect score. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. Better than The Godfather. Oh, it's not 10 out of 10. It's uh, 12 out of 12. A full bouquet. Yeah, Yeah. it's a full bushel. Yeah, bouquet. Right. (laughs) Um, Godfather is its own element. I would put that in. They're both dramas, um, but mafia movies, I think, are their own genre. And... uh, I would want to ask you, is The Godfather your pinnacle of the perfect movie? Because you keep referencing, how does it oh, compare just, to The Godfather? Yeah, no, that's just the stereotype of the, the best movie. I don't know. It, it's a great movie. I have seen The Godfather recently. I have not seen two and three. Okay. So, well, three, I don't think Everyone anyone says would. says it's not worth watching. Yeah, it's, it's just not as good as the first two. Um, I will say that... Most people I know who are cinephiles often identify Citizen Kane as the pinnacle of the movie you need to see. But mm. I argue... I I've think heard it's, refutations. I, I think it's important. I think it's groundbreaking. It was not my favorite film. Yeah. I've heard that it's you know it was groundbreaking for the time, but viewing it with a modern lens, which is actually kind of the point of this podcast, so mm-hmm. maybe it's worth watching, uh, is that it's very boring. Yeah, it just... It's and that's valid. I think that movies can can go that way, can be great for the time, and then end up being boring. But that doesn't diminish what it was. So um, one of my favorite professors in my college years was actually our film studies professor, uh, Ted Mikowski, uh, who I'm friends with on Facebook, so we're, oh, we're still friends. Wow, that's um, fancy. <laughs> he would argue that you can tell a good film is if you notice how sore your butt is while you're watching it. If you're distracted by the soreness of your butt, 
then maybe it's not that great of a movie because a good movie will encapture your attention. A good movie will, you'll stand up at the end and fall over because your legs are asleep. Exactly. And you won't have noticed. You would have forgotten everything. And we're not talking about, you know, the movie theaters now that have those delightful reclining edges because... Your butt will never fall asleep in those. Yeah, you, you can make yourself, you know, as comfy as you want. It reminds me of The Simpsons, but go up, but go down. But... <laughs> um, but back when I took film studies million moons ago, um, he described the uh, the butt scenario, and that's kind of what I hold true. Yeah, How I sore like, is my I like, butt? Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Maybe that should be our rating system. How, How sore, sore is was, your butt? <laughs> I noticed my butt was extremely sore. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's something to think about anyway. Okay, so uh, you said that it's a perfect score, 12 out of 12 bushels. Yes, Casablanca is a perfect film. Gotcha. Okay. Not, not to set your expectations too high. Hey, my expectations have been set. We're going to see next episode how it stacks up with the real points. Ooh, it right? sounded like it, you couldn't see. There was even like a head motion, like he was challenging. Heck yeah. <laughs> I was trying to drop some tea or pour some tea on your spill, spill tea? Spill the tea. Spill the tea. All right, anyway. So I don't know, that, that was Breakfast Club. Do you agree or disagree? Drop your rating in the such and such and comment on the wall of, I don't, I don't know how to be social media. How do you do social media things? Just comment with your thoughts. Do, yeah, use but your thoughts. But be kind, we're fragile. Yeah, I've got, a, I've got an ego that can't, you don't, don't mess with it because I'll cry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like Allison watching Dumbo. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so thank you for staying with us. This has been a long episode. I feel like in the future they're not going to be this long, but we had a long intro because we were trying to introduce, my microphone's falling apart now. <laughs> uh, so it'll be all right. Thank you for listening. I hope you liked it uh, from me. My name is Zachary. Did I ever actually introduce myself? Good Lord. (laughs) (laughs) It's Elson in the Mystery Man. (laughs) Yeah. My name's Zach. Um, I feel like you did because we talked about your dog and your cats. I did to know you. Did I I actually mention my name? (laughs) It's weird to talk about yourself in such a way. My name is Elson. My name is Zachary Duncan. Our theme music was brought to you by Julian Crowhurst of juliancrowhurst.com. A good friend of ours um, used to work at Barnes Noble um, and is just wonderful with music. So thank you, Julian. All right. So for rose-tinted reels, I'm Zachary. I'm Allison. See you next time.